Hey everybody, Rob here. Uh, normally this would be where I'd put the cold open, which is our uh, outtake or funny joke or pre-recording bit of humor. But today I figured I would put in the fact that this episode was recorded before Big FAQ 2 hit. So unfortunately we don't have any conversation about Big FAQ 2. Other than to guess the Big FAQ 2 would come out after we had recorded the episode, but before it was released. So, nailed it! Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Undercover Network, Warhammer 40k podcast. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And we are joined today by a special guest because we're doing our Dark Angels Codex review finally. And anytime we review a codex that we don't actually play amongst the, the four of us who are normally here, uh, we have to tap in somebody to uh, give us an assist. So we are joined today by our friend Nathan Damp. How's it going, Nathan? Good. Good to be back. And uh, Nathan, had actually, you did our first Dark Angels Codex review for us back in the day. Yeah, that was back in... Uh, sixth uh, edition, I think? Uh, it would have been six. Yeah. yeah. It was the very front of, of six. <laughs> yep. And so, so we are back with uh, the eighth edition version, finally. So thank you for being patient with us. Uh, Nathan, like I said, has been on the show before and uh, is also... Uh, Let's see, one best theme at the LVO Friendly this year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was a huge accomplishment. I um, <laughs> I take great pride. I'm definitely a better painter and hobbyist than I am a gamer, so uh, winning that award was pretty cool. <laughs> that was awesome. So, and was you fun. did have a fantastic-looking army Thank as you. well. Thank you. Yeah. And, in fact, uh, we played a practice game, and there were photos of that on the Preferred Enemies yep. page. So you may have seen his army with, uh, like – Using hot glue effects to have like yep. the the jaws dripping with, uh, with spittle ooze. and ooze, yeah. Yep. And then uh, actually had the pleasure of playing Kevin there too. Yes. So <laughs> yeah, to a tie, <laughs> to a tie. Oh yes. man, that was so darn close that game. <laughs> uh, still kicking myself. Oh, but it was it, it was a that was a really fun event. Though. It was a great event. Yeah, really Highly was, recommended. Yeah. In fact, I think uh, are there more tickets available? So they they, said they grew the event. I think they may have grown the event, so it might they cool. might still have yeah, spaces available. Well, they they changed it on me, so I actually won't be able to go in 2019. So Aww. I'm a little upset, but oh well. <laughs> Well, we are going to have a friendly at our event, so cool. if you want to play in that one, you are more than welcome. Quite possibly. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but as I said, we're going to be talking, our main topic is going to be about uh, the Dark Angels Codex, but before that, as always, it's going to be news and new releases, and then your listener mail. Uh, news and new releases is mostly Kill Team this time around, uh, other than uh, Canis Rex and the Knight Perceptor Kit finally being available, so all the Knight models are now that are that are in plastic are now available and actually really you know props on gw for have releasing that kit with all the other options so it's basically the night warden kit plus the new sprue for all the night perceptor options and canis rex and everything and you know lord he the lord hector model that runs around his own without raising the price so uh even though both kits for the warden and uh, the perceptor are now available they're at the same price it makes the warden kit a little obsolete but We'll see what happens if one gets phased out over time, or hopefully Canis Rex and the Perceptor won't be like a limited time thing, and then they just bring back the Warden. That would be a bad move, so don't do that, GW. But uh, anyway, uh, but otherwise, it's been Kill Team, because Rogue Trader is out now, and then uh, yesterday, at, as of time of recording, they did a Kill Team Weekender 
out in Warhammer World and uh, uh, unveiled some things that are being released now, or will be released soon, I should say. Uh, so the big thing was Kill Team Commanders, the, that expansion, which was actually teased slightly in the uh, Rogue Trader rulebook. And in fact, the Rogue Trader uh, rulebook added rules for commanders. And it's basically, you know, Kill Team, one of the things about Kill Teams is it's you don't have any like standalone characters other than like you pick a sergeant maybe to be your leader because they're the ones that have the leader type, you know, specialist type they can take. But they've added the ability to have a commander and uh, in missions that allow it. And those missions usually up the point budget by about 50 points to make room for a commander. And uh, it's basically just a new specialist that can be added to your army that's a little bit more buff than everybody else and also a number of the armies are getting psychic options which which i mean up until now it's been gray knights and thousand suns are the only ones that have access to a, a psychic of any sort so it'll be good to see i imagine uh eldar will probably get access to a war uh, or a warlock or Farseer. probably well maybe a farseer would be neat but probably definitely a warlock yeah they're on the smaller scale of things so that that one looks to be exciting to and, it, and again, this doesn't look like – it's not like a permanent change to Kill Team. If you're perfectly happy with Kill Team not involving special characters, that you're totally fine. This is going to be just an additional format that can be played. Uh, but then they've also announced a new Kill Zone, which brings back some of the Wall of Martyrs terrain. And uh, two new the two new boxes that go with it are Tau and Necrons, each coming with a length of Wall of Martyrs trench as – And I mean, I, I will say – I like this as a way to get terrain out there in the kill team boxes mm-hmm. and in the, the kill zones because it kind of gives terrain a theme and a purpose or like, I, mean, I didn't really get much with the dark Eldar or Death Those Watch ones. basically the trees. The trees, because mm-hmm. I'm not entirely fond of the trees. No, but I don't think anybody really is. <laughs> but the Space Wolves and Orcs one, uh, those were amazing terrain right. to come with the boxes. Yeah. And then like the, uh, the jeans or the, yeah, the Tyranid gene stealers and the the industrial stuff. Yeah, the industrial like the the shipping containers yep. and stuff like that. The the munitorium stuff was was really good with that. On well, the uh, the scatter terrain with the barrels and um and the ammo containers, just a fantastic touch to any game board. Oh yeah, um, they're, and, they're fantastic. And the great thing is, unlike in standard 40k where that stuff just kind of gets ignored because it has no real game effect for the most part, in Kill Team that stuff actually matters. Right. You know, yep. anything that can obscure a target is right. good. Uh, which is why I'm really hoping they do kind of bring some of that back into core 40k, but at least in kill team, all that, like, you know, the chest high walls and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. the wall of martyrs terrain will actually be very useful. It'll make sense to have that around and use, even though it doesn't add a lot of height the way like the Mechanicus or Imperialis terrain does, it's still very useful in kill team. Yeah. And it doesn't take much to make a kill team table look really good with just a few pieces of terrain. Exactly. So it's it, well, you can only put a few pieces of terrain because the well, board is pretty small. <laughs> the board's small. I mean, but like not wit, fair. Like if you take the well, thing is though, you take like the amount of sector imperialis terrain they give you in like the kill team box set, you can choke that table with a oh, lot yeah. of a lot of walls and everything yep. if you don't go build too vertically. Uh, but you know, I'm I, yeah, I'm impressed with the amount of terrain that they're basically giving away. In those sets, because I mean, the stuff that you're getting in the kill team, like the faction boxes, I mean, it's almost free at the because mm-hmm. they're giving you like, f- you know, usually yeah, a box worth of models, true. yeah, and yeah, like a thirty to forty dollar box worth of models, mm-hmm. and then extra rules, tactics cards, and then, but they're charging like fifty or sixty boxes depending on which faction it is. So you're getting the train for like ten bucks at yeah. most. 
it's it's a fantastic deal. So now I really do like how they've yeah, been doing. Yeah, bu- ten bucks is pretty cheap. Yeah, for, if you consider actually what you're getting. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. and then I mean they've got the and then the kill zones with the additional boards and then a full set table set worth of train for like eighty is still a, not a bad price. Right. Well, and I. I think it speaks to GW. I mean, with as fast as they've been going with the codexes and everything, and they're pumping out all these models and things, the fact that they've been able to add terrain, um, I think it just goes, kind of lends credit to them and, and how they've stepped up their game over the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they've, I mean, they've really been trying to push getting starter level product because I think they mm-hmm. do see Kill Team as, you know, it, it's both a standalone game on its own, right? But it's a starter intro. It's Absolutely. an intro product for yep. 40K. I, I have a friend who actually has been interested in 40K for quite a few years now. And the fact that Kill Team is out there, I mean, he's been intimidated by the number of models and stuff oh, yeah. needed for, mm-hmm. for a full army. Now that Kill Team is out, he's got a, a great uh, gateway drug uh, to yeah. get into the big game. And, and it's it's one of those things where you can stay at that comfort level, but it's also a great product because if you're a, uh, an old school 40k player and you've got a ton of models, mm-hmm. you pick up the rule book and suddenly you're done. You yep, know, you've got everything you need. Exactly. Or even if you are an old school 40k player, you might say, "I want to try out this other faction." Yeah, because mm-hmm. I because I, yep. yeah. I think we have people going to try out Tau just because <laughs> it's different. So. And but again, it doesn't require a large investment. Right. You can just splash a in box see, of Pathfinders. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It, it, it's a really <clears throat> smart, and the way they've done it is like, uh, I played, uh, we started up our campaign league this week, and, uh, uh, it's, it's fun so far. I mean, it's nothing terribly fancy you couldn't do yourself because it, they, I mean, on the instructions that they provide to vendors, Games Workshop even says just use the campaign rules from the, the book. But, uh, you know, it, it's good to have that actual, you know, that support behind it. We got somebody, you know, coming in and watching us play, and he's like, "Yeah, the, the it plays quickly, and it's like I've got so many options for things to build." Now it's it, it's it's a great it, it gets people's attention. It doesn't mm-hmm. look intimidating, right? Because I you see people like when we have tournaments and somebody comes in uh, and says, "Hey, what's going on?" and they look at the table and you kind of see their eyes glaze over because yeah. there's so much so going much. on. Yeah, <laughs> no, I I really do like like the product and it. And compared to the old one where you had to build everything out of one particular unit type, mm-hmm. this it's so much more flexible. Yep. You've got a lot more options. And they are actively encouraging people to uh, customize their models and figure out ways to, to model the individual specialists and make these people unique. Yep. And I, I was going to say, I also like that space-wise, you can fit so many more people and games into one mm-hmm. area than you can a real 40K game or a big 40K game because Kill Team, just the boards are smaller. So you can actually just take up the table and put a little bit of train on there and you're good to go. So, but faster games, smaller footprint. Yeah. I, I'm really enjoying that. Well, yeah. And like for, for vendors, like stores where they've primarily been, let's say like supporting magic, like magic, they're gathering. Uh, and so they're used to tournaments basically being a bunch of like two people sitting, two people sitting, two people sitting and, you know, mm-hmm. the space for play mats and cards out. That's about how much room a single exactly. kill team plays. So, so it's easy for those stores to kind of transition into supporting a 40k product without having to invest in all the board space and mats and terrain and everything. Because yeah. that can that's also for somebody running an event that's intimidating as right. well. <laughs> uh, I do wish they made it a little bit easier to buy more of the uh, boards. Yeah, because right now you can only get them inside the kill t- or the kill zone boxes, but there are already mat vendors who have released like twenty two by thirty. Yep. Oh, have mats. they? Yes. Okay, I knew they was coming. I might yeah, have I to... think Frontline's already got them out. I will and, have to look. Uh, at that. I, I know there's a couple other game mat. Game mat. It, 
Yeah, so that are working on game them. mat actually has some terrain that goes along with their mats as well. Oh yeah, though so the game mat the terrain, the resin stuff. terrain is fantastic. Yeah. No, they do. They they've provided that to us mm-hmm. for as prize support for yeah. Midwest Conquest, and that yeah. stuff's fantastic. It looks really sharp. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much it. You know, news wise, it's they've mostly been focused on uh, Shadespire or the, the sequel to Shadespire, uh, Night Vault, coming out. So that went up for pre order yesterday, I believe. So, mm-hmm. which is also a fun game in its own right, but not forty k. So. Not really a thing we talk about here. Uh, I, guess, I guess the only other thing to talk about as well is still no official word on the big FAQ yet for yeah, September. K- yeah, kind of, kind of getting anxious on that because mm-hmm. that's going, that is going to be a big thing. Although apparently, uh, the main rules writer for 40k was at Nova Open and watching games, so this may be like the Adepticon case where they're kind of collecting some more data from big events and seeing, yeah, like, oh, hey, maybe we do need to tweak this or that a bit. I'm just hoping they don't come out with the big FAQ or, or even chapter approved because I got to figure chapter approved at this point is pretty. It's probably already in production. So oh yeah, they're going to come out with that, and then we could likely see an FAQ or errata within the next two days after that launch. Oh, Dennis, yeah. Dennis, you're going to be interested in this. Okay. They just announced this today. So this is hot, fresh news as of right now. Uh, coming soon, available for uh, pre-order next week, a new box set of two factions, kind of like Tooth and Claw, called Wake the Dead. Hmm. It is uh, Primaris Marines, versus, or it's Ultramarines versus Samehan Eldar. I don't know where Wake the Dead comes Wake the from. Dead. I know. With a new uh, Primaris Lieutenant and a Plastic Spirit Seer. Ooh. Okay. So Spirit Seer. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it comes with a, looks like a, let's see, a Wave Serpent, a unit of Guardians, and a unit of Wraith Guard and there a Spirit Seer. There's your Wake the Dead. I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> if you said like a Wraith Seer, I would have been a lot more excited. Mm-hmm. No, unfortunately, no wraiths here. Oh, and next week is also when the Tau and Necrons and New Kill Zone are out, going oh, for no. pre-order too. Nice. So all the stuff that we just talked about, plus a new Eldar versus Space That's Marines cool. box set. I don't know what to think about that yet. Yeah, it looks like it's uh, the Primaris is a unit of ten intercessors, a lieutenant, and three of the Inceptors. Hmm. So and it looks like plasma Inceptors, which means it's not. I don't think it's the quick quick build ones. Uh, yeah, because the quick build ones are a bolter only. Okay. So you're just pointing this out to me so to flush out both more Eldar and Primaris, because I <laughs> definitely don't have enough Primaris. I almost have enough Primaris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you just buy this box and you can use both halves of it. I yeah. could, but, but my space wheels are kind of padded out and my... Eldar, you have more than enough Eldar, but and, you want that Spirit Seer. And my Death Watch are, are padded out with Primaris as well, so... It's a Spirit Seer. He's got a Wraith Blade, too. That would be useful. Because the current one just has the staff. So I don't know if they're going to give him different stats or if it's just decorative. I mean, he's like holding the blade aloft. Is this on their website? Yes, or it's on Warhammer Community. So like next week, the war for Vigilus continues. So it's the same planet where the Gene Stealer cults have been fighting against the Space Wolves and the Mechanicus. Okay, if it's if all those factions are there, this just makes me wonder if this is going to be the next big it might global be. campaign that they do. Yeah, you know, they could be kind of building yeah. up towards that. Which it... Again, I, I think it really speaks to GW and how far they've come uh, with advancing the the story arcs so much. Yeah, um, and we can only wait until they get all the codexes out, and then right. they're going to start just hitting us with campaign exactly. books. Exactly. Yep. 
or Codex Yanari, yeah. The Yanari mm-hmm. pamphlet will arrive. <laughs> no, I'm hoping that by, I'm hoping the story pushes it along to where yeah. they'll get enough. I think they defectors uh, from the craft world. I, I and, tease, but I know I think they I think they will. I think they'll get enough to stand <laughs> on their own as a faction. Well, potentially them, and I mean even uh, kind of a, a teaser within the Dark Angels. Uh, we could maybe touch on it a little bit later too. Is potentially a fallen uh, Codex. Yeah, because otherwise I would love to see. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. But yeah, the the FAQ, uh, which got me looking at the Warhammer community site, uh, right. the FAQ, yeah, the FAQ, yeah, it it is going to be kind of a weird space. Like, what are they going to put into chapter approved mm-hmm. alongside? Because that's also been the place where they put like finalized rules. So will they just include the rules from Big FAQ one in there? Or it's like we also don't know like what's going to be marked as finalized. What's yeah. going to be. And it's like, because I would think for chapter approved, maybe they would go ahead and reprint like the new rule, like the the, the beta rules right now, or what was or what were the beta rules like the smite change and stuff yep. like that, so they're mm-hmm. locked in stone in a print product. Yeah, but yeah, it, I'm curious to see what they do with the current beta rules and and if they're going to change those up in any way or clarify them or. I mean, I, they're pretty clear for the most part. I, I think the community has really taken them on as as the gospel truth, and um, and, and I think the tournament scene has even lent lended a lot of credibility to those changes the one i only disagree with is the uh officio assassinorum change where you can't run an hq and you don't get the buff if you run a vanguard so right if you run one calexis you're looking at you know an auxiliary choice versus okay now i have to run three for the vanguard but i don't get the hq in there because of the battle brothers rule um which has changed my army list significantly mm-hmm. but i think fluff wise too it, it doesn't necessarily make sense but that's the only beta rule i've really been upset by and I imagine, yeah, they'll they'll take that into account and figure out like if that's the you know, and it may be that yeah, that's the de- that's the direction yep. they want to go. Right. We don't we don't know yet. Yep. So and they they play this very like they kind of play it close to the vest until they're ready to release the FAQ. Very. Mm-hmm. So still no word there, but uh, everyone's waiting with bated breath. And of course, what are the chances they'll release it next week before the episode's out of editing? <laughs> because that's usually how this stuff goes. So. <laughs> Uh, so from there, we'll transition over to your listener mail. As always, all these letters are written by you, the listeners. And when we finish this episode's batch of batch of mail, we will tell you how you can get your letter onto the air. Uh, so first one is a letter from Red Rabbit. Yes, that is the name I have for them. Red Rabbit. Cool. Red Rabbit writes, Dear Prenemies, which is a new one. I haven't heard that one yet. I've heard P, P enemies and pref- yeah, frenemy, preferred frenemies and such, but frenemies is a new one. Said Red Rabbit here, insert relevant praises here. Excuse the long email, feel free to cut out anything as you see fit or don't read it at all, up to you. If I may get something off my chest, I will address the poor dead horse that is stratagems. Seems to me that most people complaining about them are people thinking about it almost always from a competitive tournament mindset. Uh, stratagems are there to allow an army to do really cool, fluffy things for a cost that would otherwise be too powerful if they were free. It gives armies a lot of fluff and variety that we haven't seen before in past editions. And if I recall correctly, when the first few codexes first came out, y'all were all for them. Now all I see is in here online is takes too long and games aren't finishing in tournaments, but I've heard almost no one complaining about it from a casual viewpoint. A lot of solutions have been brought up, some better than others, but the one I've heard most 
is point adjustments, i.e. less command points for detachments. I think that most of the solutions mentioned all over the place are clunky, and to get rid of one clunky system for another is not a solution. By saying that you only get three points for a brigade and everything else gets one is one example or one command point a turn, you might as well just get rid of command points entirely and just say, here's a list of stratagems for your army. You can do three per game, which I don't think is how stratagems were meant to be used. Uh, from a fluff standpoint, it makes sense. A larger army will have more resources. And from a mechanical standpoint, it's decently balanced. You took the time, not to mention money, to strategically build out a large force, and it should be rewarded. Is it 100% balanced? No, but with a game as large as 40k, it will never be completely balanced. Stratagem slowing down competitive events? Here's an elegant solution. Don't use them in timed competitive events. Only allow them in open narrative play or match play where you aren't on a time limit with a prize on the line. Problem solved! I am a semi-competitive player myself, and I understand the frustration, so don't think that I'm a filthy casual coming to rain on everyone's parade. Overall, I think that stratagems are a very welcome addition to 40k and are very fun and fluffy. To simply get rid of them or completely change the way they work because they are inconvenient for competitive tournament players and timed events is a tad too much. Why not make major rules changes because it affects casual players? Because it makes about as much sense as changing it for timed events. Games Workshop meant for 40k to be a beer and pretzels game, and for that, they are perfectly fine. Point farming a problem? Get rid of point... Command point recycling and match play. Again, simple solution. Games Workshop has shown that they are willing to make changes to keep the game as balanced as possible. Let's end this letter on a good note. My, many, many apologies for sounding salty, but I personally think that 8th edition is the most elegant edition we've ever had and would hate to see Games Workshop overcompensate and frack up a system that is, in my opinion, the most balanced and most updated edition since the birth of 40k. You guys are awesome. I love the podcast and I look forward to every new episode. Please never stop what y'all do. Red Rabbit. Uh, P.S. The letter original, this letter originally included me bludgeoning other horse carcasses, such as Commissars, Conscripts, and Tau Commander Spam, but the letter was even more stupidly long than it is now. Maybe in the future <laughs> I'll write in again and y'all can hear me gripe more like I'm your significant other and you forgot to put your dirty socks in the hamper again. <laughs> Later. Uh, <laughs> thank you for not bludgeoning us on Commissars and Conscripts, because that's, that's dragging up old stuff right mm -hmm. there. I, I think we can all 100% agree with one statement made in that in that letter, though. This is definitely the most updated version of 40K. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think on a whole, uh, all of us really like it. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean no, considering is, what I, did we talk about right before this? Like, we're waiting for that FAQ. We know it's coming, like, mm -hmm. this in the next week or two. So, no. We, no, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I... I get, I think I get where Rabbit's coming from, that uh, for a lot of these issues that we talk about, like, games are taking too long, the game, you know, Index 40k was so much faster than uh, yep. Codex 40k, and as the games are long, and we can't finish games on time. Absolutely right. They're absolutely right. This is a competitive, this is a match play issue. And I think that's evidenced by the fact that all the changes that we've seen so far, other than the, like, the command points per, uh, Per detachment change that they put in was an errata across the board because, and that was an, uh, an answer to the problem of some armies like Grey Knights and Custodes just did not have the option to yeah. get as many command points mm -hmm. to use. So that was a fix that was affected everybody. But most of the other rules fixes they've put in, and I say fixes, like Battle Brothers and the Tactical Reserves and even like the Smite rules and stuff, those are match play only. If you're playing. Right casual if you're playing open or narrative play this stuff does not affect you and it really shouldn't yeah. uh the issue is where games workshop is trying to support match play and all these other formats as well and when you support match play there comes an expectation that the game has to, both the game has to be tuned and balanced as much as possible and i think they're right that this game is large enough you're never going to get 100 percent perfect balance yeah. yep but you do still have to address those issues because if you turn off i mean 
competitive players are a large chunk of your audience. They sp- and some of the most vocal. And they are some of the most vocal. They will turn away. Other players will be turned away by the fact that the you know tournament players will badmouth the game. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't want to say they're necessarily holding your game hostage, but they are, they, they play the game more than anyone else. They, it's like, it's the hardcore players that will figure out how to break a system. And so uh, if you make a game that can't be finished in a reasonable amount of time or has obvious balance issues, you have you need to address it because they've obviously found an issue. Well, and if you think about it, too, the the competitive players are also the most public. Yes. I mean, your beer and pretzels players are playing in garages, basements, man caves, uh, woman caves. You're, you don't have the public space for the outcry when stratagems are, are taking too long. And they also, I mean, your narrative players aren't complaining about games lasting too long because they don't have a time limit. That's what they're, and they're in it for having yeah. that afternoon of, hey, we're going to play one game and it's just going to, yep. we're just going to tell the story right. and have fun with it. Yeah. Who cares if a game lasts six hours? Right. And, and for those players, I think absolutely stratagems mm-hmm. are, are totally fine. Uh, but it is, there is the, as somebody who runs tournaments, mm-hmm. that is, this is an action, you know, this is a serious issue that you do yeah. have to, if, if you are serious, as Games Workshop has said, if they are serious about supporting competitive play at the highest levels, cause that's why they're showing up to Nova Open, why they're showing up to Adepticon and Las Vegas Open and stuff like that, why they're starting to run competitive events at Warhammer World, you know, Throne of Skulls is, is a thing mm-hmm. now and they're, they're running it there and they're, right. they're supporting that level of play. That means they're taking this seriously. And so, yeah, are these fixes that people have been floating in letters written to us and stuff that we've discussed, are they clunky? Very possibly. We are not game designers. And I think all of us, we want things to be tweaked and balanced, but at the same time, we don't want it replaced with something that's even worse or a complete overhaul. Oh, right, right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. As far as, like, getting into stratagems and competitive play, no, I, I think that's a bad idea because stratagems are part of the game i mean i do think they i i agree with rabbit that they are something that allow an army to do fluffy things uh without with having a cost which was one of the problems we had with uh formations before was other than the cost of taking the models that you were going to take anyway now you just get the best version of them for you know for free now there's actually a cost involved the problem is it's too easy to game that cost right now and whether it's by being able to build your art like the lucky 32 the lucky 32nd is the big issue right now where it's the third it's like three units of imperial guardsmen and two commanders so 32 models mm-hmm. that, that they call it the lucky 32 uh that recycles points it's a problem it right. because it's it's not a problem that it because it, it's something that almost everybody that's playing imperium can take oh yeah uh it the issue is not everybody's playing imperium hat doesn't have that option and the other issue is it makes list building boring when you see the same thing yep. over and over and over again and i don't think anybody wants to see the game just devolve into the same like the same basic army layout winning events over and over again or at least placing high and kind of throwing off how how the return is but Again, that's a match play issue. And mm-hmm. so match players are match play players and competitive players are putting it forward solutions for competitive play. But I don't think anybody's saying that these things should necessarily be changed for narrative and mat and open play. But it is a good point that we have to be careful about what's what the solutions are to make sure they don't screw up the other formats. Cause it, it is really easy to say, well, and I, I know we've floated on here before, like, oh yeah, we should just maybe we should just make command points lower. And I think that was when I floated 
like make command points lower, but then also make all the stratagems cheaper. Well, that's one that does affect everybody across the board and isn't just a mass mm-hmm. match play issue. So maybe that does need to be, maybe that's not, that's not a good solution. Maybe no, that's absolutely fine. And I do, I agree that I think everyone was excited about stratagems when, when they first started coming mm-hmm. in. Uh, and I think a lot of them are fine. I mean, we, when we discuss them, a lot of them come out to, oh, yeah, this isn't going to come up all that often, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. To, it's good to have in your back pocket right. just in case. The narrative targeted stratagems. Yeah, they're fun. They're, they're good. Uh, and having the power ones in there, you know, some army, you know, you should have this like this thing that your army does that costs you, you know, costs you points to use, but it's like key to, mm-hmm. to how your army functions. Totally fine, too. It's just when I think the problem is more that how command points are being inserted into armies and recycled mm-hmm. is that's the bigger problem right. and i think we haven't quite we don't know what gw is going to do about that i imagine the faq will have information mm-hmm. although on that, rogue trader had an interesting solution there. yes it did yeah because that was the one where you got extra points but you could only use them within that yep. art for that faction yes yep. so, so yep. based on your warlord that's where your your points went yep. yeah so maybe you know that might give us a hint into what they're thinking of but we'll see all right, next up is from Casey Rusher, and the command point train continues. <laughs> hey, Profenemies, another new one. <laughs> Big fan of the show. You guys make my driving route to work so much more tolerable. I have an unpopular opinion of my own. I'm not really a big fan of command points and stratagems, but I love the system of 8th edition otherwise. So this is the opposite view. <laughs> <laughs> because of my distaste for command points and strats, I find it really hard to get into playing games. This is really bothering me. I really like playing 40k, but I can't find a way to play without having to CP farm. Any advice for this? Maybe there's an army that would be better to play without command points than others? I know I can't avoid paying, playing people using command points. That's just part of the game, and I get that. I'm not looking to change how others play. Play, merely find a way to play for me that makes it a lot a little more fun it's probably a matter of either get over it or don't play but i'm doing my best to find a better solution thanks for taking the time to read this sorry if this is more of a waste of time than anything absolutely not no this yeah, this helps spawn good conversations and kind of gets a feel for where people are uh keep the excellent podcast coming well thanks casey uh so I can say my silly one. Okay, say your silly one. Well, if you want an army that really doesn't use command points for stratagems and whatnot, play Slanesh Demons. I think I use it for (laughs) re-rolling the die or saving an army of 30 demonettes that has taken like 12 casualties. Well, and honestly, Chaos Demons, because of how their stratagems are split up, you only have access to like three or four of them for most of the game anyway. Like you've got some that you spend at the beginning of the game to put people in the warp if you want to deep strike them. Or upgrade your banner. Right. But otherwise you don't have a lot. Or get another relic. Yeah. But yeah, they they really don't have a lot of tricks in that regard. Right. What you have on the table is what you got with them. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing is, how can't find a way to play without having to CP farm. You don't have to CP farm. I mean, Will in a in a competitive setting, will you do as well against people who aren't CP farming? Probably not. But if you're just looking at getting games in, you know, just be upfront with somebody and say, "Hey, I'm I I don't really do the CP thing. You think we can get a a lighter game in? Because it sounds like this isn't yeah. tournament play. Because I'm having trouble getting into games. Yeah, I mean, there are armies that or like like Space Marines, like Plain plain Jane and Adeptus Astartes, Ultramarines, or stuff like that, mm-hmm. they don't use stratagems a lot. Mm-hmm. Most of them tend to be geared towards, like, like if I have three Predators or yep. three you know Vindicators or my Dreadnought dies, I'm going to do something. To, but most of the time, they're not using a lot of their stratagems either. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the, the early codexes weren't built 
with the stratagem efficiency that some of the later ones have been. So yeah, your space marine, your chaos marines, death guard to, to a degree, the demons codexes don't have as much reliance on stratagems and CP as some of the newer codexes seem to. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I think some of those older armies and like Death Guard would be a, an army where you're like you don't have a lot of them. There's like I think Cloud of Flies you'll use mm-hmm. regularly, and like you might use the one where one of where you force one of your vehicles to explode if it mm-hmm. dies. But for the most part, Death Guard are using the tricks that are in the models themselves. You know, like yeah, like the, the disgustingly resilient yeah. and any mortal wound output that they already have built in. To, so that's an army you could totally play. And that's an army that's actually pretty easy to pick up because of all the starter products out. So that's one I think you could get away without CP farming. And honestly, you take one tally man and then lets you play a little bit of the CP mm-hmm. tricks, but it's not nearly as egregious as a lot of the uh, like the guard armies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what you're you're laughing, Dennis? Well, I, I just say if you're going to play that, you also have to take a banana. <sighs> uh, Point, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> so yes um yeah but but yeah no there there are definitely armies that can get and also like we said like gray knights and uh, and custodes you don't really build cp mm-hmm. farms because you need all your i mean yeah th- those armies take up enough points just with the models themselves. play knights knights have yeah i mean you'll you'll waste all of your cps before you even get the game started yeah yeah um which is why you True. see the guard battalion with with the knights Right. Uh, in the, in the C, the 180 point CP farm. So, yeah. Um, I, I think one, one thing I caught on to, he, he mentioned there's no way to play it. If you play narrative, it's, in my opinion, a, a moot point. It is complicated to play competitively these days when you see the CP battery with the guard. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's very easy to fit in 180 points, uh, with the, the 32 models you were talking about. Um, but again, it's it's really only Imperium that are doing that. You yeah. don't see CP farming from Aldari. You don't see it from the Jukari. Um, well, the Jukari don't need it because they just regenerate enough of them with uh, Blackheart <laughs> to only on sixes. That that's um, true. So, but it's also a point per yeah, yeah. yeah or per per right. command point spent. But. but I mean, so the combo with the Blood Angel uh, relic, uh-huh. and then now you're seeing the 180 point uh, guard battalion. You're actually able to roll more dice than the CPs you actually spent. Yeah. To see if you get it back. So you could spend one and get back two or three, which I, I think you'll definitely see in the fact. Right. Yeah. You can't, but yeah, competitive, it's just something you're, yeah. that, that is where the environment is right now. We'll see what, what the FAQ and chapter proved have to say about that. I imagine it's mm-hmm. going to be one of the issues that they, oh, yeah. Cause they're going to, they're going to look across the board and say, well, yes, definitely, uh, you know, like as we've brought up before, yeah, totally. It's fluffy to have a guard detachment along with an Imperium mm-hmm. army. That totally makes sense. But when it's the same exact guard detachment every single yep. <laughs> time amongst all the Imperium players, there's a problem. How many so, company commanders are actually out there in in the universe? Yeah, right. <laughs> all right, next one. Uh, again, we're going to keep this train rolling with a letter from Adam Jacobs. Adam writes, "Hey, chaps, I'm listening to current." to the show current for yet another episode of how can we fix cps i am shocked that no one has said i don't think cps are the issue what if we just limited stratagems to the warlords codex you you take that would stop you taking relics from codexes outside your warlords faction it makes it so you can still take a knight and a blood angel captain yet you don't see the massive bonus of buffing them with both sets of stratagems 
I'm for this one. I mean, that would also, I mean, that's along the same lines of you can only spend command points from a detachment on that detachment's stratagems. Mm -hmm. I like that one better than the Warlords. Yeah. Yeah. So I I played uh, Dark Angel, Blood Angel, Battalions. If I had five and five and then the three that you get just for starting the game are freebies. That's more fun than uh-huh. if I had to spend all 13 on, on wh- only Dark Angels. Right. So, because Azrael being the Warlord would not be as fun souping up those Blood Angels. <laughs> but I understand his point. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's along that same line mm-hmm. of let's put a cap or a limiter on yeah. where those command points can be spent. And as Dennis pointed out in Rogue Trader, in the mini codexes in Rogue Trader, they're already kind of hinting that that's the direction. They don't want these these detachments be cheap throw-ins that get you a lot more command points. Mm-hmm. If they do, you should, they're limited to, cause like if the, for like the lucky 32, if you could only spend whatever they bring in on guard, yep. they'd go away because there's not enough value there. Yeah. All right. And then finally from, if not final letter, but final one on this topic, <laughs> more or less is uh war Corgi war Corgi writes, hi guys, I'm still loving the podcast, but lately I have found myself shaking my head, listening to you guys discuss how to improve the game. My grind is this GW has been well-disciplined sticking to what I believe are their first principles. Those are one. Is it fun? Two is it intuitive and three. Is it balanced? Feel free to discuss if you think these are indeed their first principles in this edition. You guys, however, seem to be all over the place, wanting to streamline stratagems because people don't use them, taking out options because you don't see them played often seems like a solution looking for a problem, to complicating the rules for shooting and cover a la Kill Team. So I ask you, if you were to have first principles when fixing Warhammer 40k, what would they be? Thanks for the podcast and keep up the great work. Fraternally, War Corgi. So, uh, no, I think, you know, the is it fun and is it intuitive... I think they've been pretty good on those points. Mm-hmm. And you can tell yep. on the third one, is it balanced? The, the fact that we have regular FAQs coming out yeah. and errata coming out regularly, uh, obviously that's a goal for them. So mm-hmm. I, I would say those are definitely their... their uh, some things aren't intuitive. Yeah. At least if you look at things logically, like um, flyers being able to shoot anywhere, even if I'm like way over here and you're like way behind me, and yeah, the, all of my guns point forward, it's not intuitive that I should be able to shoot you. Yeah. But on the whole, if you're just talking about game mechanics and rules to make it flow, yeah. Yeah, no, the, no, 8th edition is definitely the easiest edition to play. It has the le- the least weird technical crunch yep. interactions. But the uh, issue of uh, getting streamlining stratagems because people don't use them. No, I'm all for having, like, again, all these pocket stratagems that you have that, sure, they might not come up. But, man, mm-hmm. when they do, it's so awesome. I'm all for those. Right. Absolutely. But... Uh, now, complicating the rules for shooting and cover, that one comes from the fact that as a tournament organizer for large tournaments, and this may not be an issue for people in, like, playing garages or more small casual or narrative games, um, in a competitive setting, you need to have, your terrain needs to be useful. It can't just be attractive. Yeah. Yep. And the problem that a lot of people had going into 8th edition was 7th edition terrain because of the change in terrain rules. The terrain we had in 7th edition that was great and perfectly good for, at the time is not enough yeah. because it does because yeah. it either blocks line of sight or it doesn't and cover <laughs> bonuses for infantry isn't really enough sometimes to justify them uh it's hard enough for vehicles to like vehicles can't get benefit from it at all unless they're actually fully in the terrain and half obscured it's it's a weird case of trying to make this 
like I I like the returning to the idea of obscured. Yes, it's not as streamlined, but at the same time, it makes the terrain the partial terrain you have feel like it has more value. And yep. so it would there's a lot of armies that if they had to fire at minus one to hit because of terrain, it would tone down the shooting and it would and like because a lot of this spawned from the discussions we've had with listeners about uh, assault being too hard mm-hmm. because if there's not enough terrain, you can't get into assault because you'll die before you get there. Right. So I, I will say the flip side of that of the why not to do it would be you would need to rework some of the um, traits like um, Altiak. Yeah, I know. They're, they're <laughs> definitely, no, there are armies that are would, it's not an, it's not just an in, instant one and done solution. And it, it, right. it works for kill team because you don't have any of those, those, Faction Sub all, yeah, the faction traits yep. that would that would apply there, but you know, I no, I I'd say the the first, you know, the the first principles he has listed there is like, is it fun? Is it intuitive? Is it balanced? I think those are all definite. You know, those are great guidelines to go by. Right. Uh, the just yeah. the the tricky part is finding like the balance between all three of those because. Something can be fun and intuitive, but not balanced at all. Something can yeah. be intuitive and balanced, but not fun. Something can be fun and balanced, but man, it's clunky. And right now, where we're seeing things are, is the, I, is, I think they're, because things are not as balanced, because they are, there are things that are easy to exploit, that both hurts the balance point and the fun point, because it's not fun to see the same army and over, over and over right. again. It's yeah. not fun to see an army that, Whereas your army is running out of command points, their army never does because they're generating mm-hmm. them constantly. And and where it's not specific to their army because everybody else is doing the same thing. And so where these changes, like the changes that we discuss, and again, none of us here are game designers. Most of the people that write in yeah. are not game designers. We are just all people who have played the game a <laughs> lot through 8th edition and are finding, like, this is where we see the game, like, as I mentioned a, a couple episodes ago when we did our like our state of the game, uh, you know, it's like the game is fun. The game is fantastic. It's just that we're starting to see a few of the cracks, but GW mm-hmm. is intent on fixing those cracks. Yep. So promptly. Yes. So, I mean, there's a reason like they pushed off the when they saw the issues with Adepticon. Yeah, they are like, OK, we're going to push off the FAQ a bit because we want to address this because this is a bigger issue than we real, you know, than we mm-hmm. may have realized because as has been pointed out in Red Rabbit's letter. This is primarily a, was started out as a beer and pretzel game. And yep. for a lot of what yep. Games Workshop does, they still see it as that casual, more narrative game. And th- how you balance that is way different than how you balance a tight competitive yeah. rule yeah. set. Well, and, and one thing I want to say as well, uh, to the point there of kind of us being all over the place with solutions or ideas. Part of that is because we're listening. We're trying to incorporate and listen to other people's ideas, but also just amongst the four of us. We have completely different ideas on how the game should be played and how those three principles are balanced. Um, we've talked a lot recently about um, about the assault stuff and like how assault should be balanced. And I almost completely disagree with Rob on a lot of the things that he says <laughs> I, because I play more assault armies. I have a different opinion on it. I am a benevolent the editor and have not cut those out, by the way. <laughs> right, exactly. On the uh, on the 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 letters that we've read today we've had two different people with completely differing opinions on why command points are broken and i think that's part of it is that we're trying to incorporate and encompass everyone's ideas and 
what ultimately you know, have discussions about why we think things are broken and how we can adjust them. But at the end of the day, it is ultimately going to be GW's decision. It's their game. They're the ones that decide how much of this is going to be, you know, intuitive versus balanced versus fun. And uh, it's good to have the conversations and I like having these. Uh, but we all have different opinions. And I think that's why it's that's why it can feel like it's a scattershot conversation at times, because, you know, if you talk to the four of us separately in a different room and ask, how do you fix command points? You get like six probably, different opinions. Oh, yeah. yeah, to give you eight different answers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the reason why I have stated that these are my, you know, these are the unpopular opinions I hold. But I also understand that that's, they are opinions. These, I am yeah. not... I'm not claiming these are the go- this is the gospel truth for how to fix the game. This is just like this is how I feel about it. Doesn't necessarily mean it applies to anybody else. Uh, right. But also, have by you know putting that out there and then getting the feedback, it's also good to get pe- other people's opinions so I can kind of see: Am I off base? Am I? Because mm-hmm. obviously, my experience is limited to my experience. I can only mm-hmm. see based on the armies I play and the games I've had against certain opponents. I can try to get a holistic view, but I don't have the data set to do it. Mm-hmm. And exactly. that's why having Games Workshop going to things like no, like Nova Open or Adepticon and seeing. Or, or, you know, Las Vegas open and seeing how is the game being played at this level that they really need to tune and balance for. Because again, as you brought up earlier, Nathan, for the casual player who's playing in their basement or their garage, this really doesn't matter much. You can go back to the core rulebook. Yeah. And, and yeah. every problem is solved in that core rulebook. Yep. You don't need the, I mean, if you want to run, you know, spam and exceed the rule of three because of a narrative fun thing. Uh, by all means, you can do it. Well, because, yeah, I mean, um, the rule of three, they even say this is match play only. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, you could give yourself more command points if you wanted to in a beer and pretzels game. Yeah. Um, all of that stuff is fixable. Uh, again, the, the reason GW is taking a more active stance on this is because the competitive scene has been so public and, and all of these conversations are happening out there, which I, I think more of the complaints may be coming from the narrative players. Um, who feel like they're getting wrapped up into the competitive rule set, and that's really not necessarily no, and the I, case. They can go back to, like I said, that core rulebook. Yeah, and and I yep. think that's the the thing to keep in mind is a lot of the stuff that we're talking about really does only impact mm-hmm. um, the the competitive scene, and it is because between the uh, you know people streaming games, whether it's you know frontline streaming games from mm-hmm. LVO or the official Games Workshop. Twitch stream streaming games from Adepticon or Nova Open, yeah. and then bringing in like Frankie and <laughs> Jeff to yeah. do color commentary at yeah. Nova, and uh, you know having some of the you know they specifically said we brought in a couple of the top competitive players mm-hmm. to talk about this from a competitive point of view. So they're yep. they, you know that's a an active goal that they have. So they're they're embracing that, but yep. but that also means that goal because that's now the face of the game that mm-hmm. is out there for people to see. Yeah. They, I mean, they do they stream, you know, more narrative games from Warhammer World? Absolutely, they do. But a lot of the people want to, like, when these big events happen, they want to watch that because they want yeah. to see how how is the competitive scene playing out. Maybe I maybe I'm a competitive player in my region, but I couldn't make it to yeah. Adepticon. I want to see what the top armies look like. Well, when you've got three and five thousand dollars on the line, you yeah, know, people want to look at those competitive players and find out what's going on. Yeah. So, um, a beer and pretzels game is fun. But you're not going to get the kind of revenue uh, that GW is seeing or, you know, Frontline is seeing 
with three and five thousand dollar prizes. Yeah, and and I think you know, and and we've also had the discussions both on the air and, and privately about like is the amount you know how is the money prize mm-hmm. skewing the game also yeah, and that right. and that is a conversation that also has to happen and i think that's something mm-hmm. gw needs to kind of take into account too is that these games were like lvo where crazy you know gamesmanship and sportsmanship yep. stuff goes down and it's like is that typical or is that because of the prize that's on the line yeah and uh so yeah it's but yeah the going going back to work his letter i think yeah I, I'm perfectly fine with those three first principles. It's just the issue is trying to balance. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, it's trying to balance competitive play while not impacting more casual play. Cause mm-hmm. if you don't care so much about the tournament playing, you're just looking to get in good games that are telling each story or, Hey, mm-hmm. I want to try this army out or this one. This really should not affect yep. you. I mean, or, and we should be careful when we float out ideas that it doesn't have, you know, that we don't, suggest something that's going to have too large an effect it's but these are hard issues and that's why we're we're letting games workshop design them mm-hmm. we're just kind of no we're just honestly like yeah. saying hey maybe try this or this or this which is also why we say like when people write in like hey here, what about this suggestion well house it played as a house rule see how see how yeah. it works out maybe it does maybe it doesn't right all right, moving on. Letter from Brandon John Summerlin. Brandon writes, hello, preferred enemies. Love the show. Just a quick problem, maybe, with the monocodex command point idea. Okay, I lied. There was one more command point letter. <laughs> Admech and Admech knights will have a serious upper hand in the command point race. Knights are in the Admech codex, and a minimum battalion of Admech is 199 points, two engine seers, and three five-man ranger units. And knights are already very strong. Do you think this will prove to be a problem if the guard battery gets the nerf bat? Um... It could. It, it could. could. There you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> Changes the meta. Now, I don't know if yeah. the engine seers have the ability to, you know, I don't think they have access to things that allow them to regenerate command points the way that the Lucky 32 does. True. So that's, that is one place where you won't get that. But, I mean, knights are strong. I mean, I'll be honest, for uh, Iron Halo, we'll get into this in hobby progress, but I'm going to be running three knights and a battalion of sisters. I'm not bare bonesing it with the sisters, but. I'm still taking a sister's battalion because it's more command points for my knights. Mm-hmm. Plus, I but I also want to run sisters with the knights. But you're so. also not running optimized knights. I'm I mean, not running. You're optimized. running what's fun and yeah. what you want to do. Right. So again, it's about that balance. Am I running like the hardest, tightest competitive list I can, or am I running something that yes, I'm trying to take advantage of the rule set right now, but I'm also not doing it as hardcore competitive as mm-hmm. I could be. Right. So, but yeah, could this be an issue for 199 points? Possibly. Absolutely. And hey, you've got Edge Seers and Mechanicus Knights who could be, you know, they could be fixing up the Mechanicus Knights. It's possible. Mm-hmm. So that that's a possibility. We'll, we just have to wait to see what the big FAQ, if mm-hmm. it addresses this issue at all. All right. Moving on to a couple of Space Wolf letters because it's time to move off the train. Uh, so this first one is from Chris Fuss. Chris writes, I just finished the Space Wolf review. I just some food for thought. You're running your units across the table because you want to get in combat. You cast one power to give your guys a minus one to be shot bubble. Drop those three command points for another minus one bubble. Now you're minus two to be shot, probably covering most of your units. Then pick out the most dangerous shooting unit your opponent has and hit them with the other power for another minus one. Uh, sorry for the lack of names, but I'm at work and I don't have the book with me. Which, fortunately, we have the book here. Uh, yes, three command points is pricey, but you really need it for just for that one turn, really. Assault is great, but you gotta get there. Also, just personal opinion, but a Wolfguard battle leader with a jump pack, Thunderhammer Storm Shield, Armor of Rust, that might be better than a Slam Gwinius. Just saying. Keep up the awesome work. I've seen that build. 
Yeah. I've seen other people say that as well, that like that might be the new, the next thing. <laughs> I mean, the Wolfguard Battle Leader is, is the cheaper, you know, it's the cheaper mm-hmm. HQ option. You can give it like pretty much all the things. How many attacks does he have? Uh, Wolfguard Battle Leader is, uh, three attacks. Okay. So not as many as a. And then the Armor of Rust gives him the four up and vulnerable save. And then he can pick an enemy unit and make that unit act last. Mm. If they're within an inch of him. Okay. As for the, the, Two powers. Yeah. Um, the first one would be Stormcaller. Um, the Psyker and all friendly space wolves um, within six inches gain the benefit of cover. So that's not exactly a yeah. minus one. That's right. cover. Uh-huh. And there are a lot of things in the game that can ignore or remove cover. Right. Or have AP high enough that it doesn't matter. True. The, uh, the other power, the Tempest Wrath, that one is you pick a unit that you can see within 24 inches. So definitely going to come into play. Right. And then that unit is at minus one to hit. That one would still, as he said, that would be useful for the, the heavy hitter unit. And so the, uh, then the three command point stratagem he's talking about is Cloaked by the Storm, which uh, basically in this psychic phase, you choose a rune priest who manifested a power. Your opponent subtracts one from all hit rolls for ranged attacks. The target friendly space rules within six inches of that model until your next psychic phase. So it's, it's stacking those penalties to hit. Right. So well, like, you know, you've got the tools to, you know, this is one of the few armies that does have the tools to make it hard to hit those assault units. And there's another one out there. Um, I think uh, Frankie from Frontline was running a Space Wolf list on a recent battle report where he had a, a bunch of um, infantry models in Razorbacks, moved them up the board, popped smoke. Yeah. Casted the ability and popped the stratagem. So it was what minus, mm. what is that, minus three? Yeah. If you run mm. all of the buffs to hit. So I mean, some armies aren't uh, aren't able to touch them at yeah. all. And then now turn two, you've got these guys ready to jump out of Razorbacks. Yeah, and, and then uh, you've got all the shooting from the Razorbacks yep. as well. Exactly. So yeah, I've actually seen people suggest that uh, the Space Wolves army might see a return to like the Rhino Rush. That'd be cool. Uh, I mean, Berserkers actually make a pretty good use of it as well. But these, yeah, yeah with this with the penalties to shooting that these guys can stack up, mm-hmm. and that would be kind of neat because it would be extra ways that Space Wolves can play because Thunder Wolves are still most people's way of thinking about them and wolfen are still a thing out yeah. there as well so here's well, number three well yeah and that's the thing any army that can have multiple builds that's a good thing oh yeah that's, no, that's, that, that's showing good <laughs> that's good internal balance for right. the army and yet you know will i say that that's necessarily better than slam maybe maybe not because slam also gets the benefit of descent of angel or mm-hmm. and then or mm-hmm. is it upon wings of fire yeah it's, yeah upon wings of flame of, yeah. sometimes they to go make him a uh, Death Company. Death Company. Yeah. For the Feel No Pain and plus and then, one attack. And then the Angel's uh, Wing to avoid Overwatch. And then you've got the um, one where you can give him plus D3 attacks uh, yeah. in the fight phase. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, yeah. Slam Gwinius is still really good, but I think this is an interesting counter build. Like, this is an interesting way to do some of the same things and build other tricks and not have to pay nearly as many points. That's either. true, because you're paying. Whereas the for Slam Gunius, you're spending three or four command points to get oh, yeah. all of that stuff yeah. together. Mm-hmm. This you're spending three, once turn, you know, one turn, because you're probably doing that like first turn to get up there, and then turn two, you're probably ready to pull the trigger on mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Yep. Yep. Now this one, where Slam Gunius benefits is Slam Slam Gunius needs one moving part. Slam Gunius, and you know the, mm-hmm. the the captain himself. Uh, right. this or two or three. Yeah. But, I, but this one, you have to have a rune priest. He has yeah. to ca- successfully cast the power, which he most likely will. But if True. he doesn't, the whole pe- it all falls apart. Or if it gets denied. Yep. Yeah. Or if it gets True. denied. So you have to kind of, you know, th- there's more risk on this, but the reward's pretty good. Well, and if you're popping smoke and then 
popping the stratagem, you're minus two. I guess the rune priest getting it off, you'd be minus three. Well, because the rune, well, the rune priest has to cast it before you can pop the stratagem because it requires the rune priest to manifest a power. Okay. So right. if yeah. that gets denied, then the stratagem doesn't work. Okay. So you'd only be minus one. Right. So th- that's why I said like this has yeah. a bit. It has more moving parts, which yeah. means it's more prone to failure. There's always mm-hmm. a chance like either rune priest gets popped early or right. it gets denied or you just fail the casting mm-hmm. roll. Yep. Right? Yeah, which happens. It happens. Yeah. So yeah, just. But you know, it's it is an interesting uh, counterbuild. Uh, moving on with another thing about rune priests, uh, Luke Foster writes, "Hey guys, I discovered a discrepancy with Space Wolf rune priests compared to librarians from other chapters, and I wanted your thoughts." In the Space Wolf Codex, non-Primaris rune priests are given the option to purchase a psychic hood to get the associated rule, while a Primaris rune priest does not come with one per his gear description, cannot buy one, yet also has the psychic hood rule. In the Wolf Book, psychic hoods are listed as being five points. Myself and a friend compared this to my Space Marines book and his Dark Angels book. All librarians had access to the Psychic Hood rule without coming with the item or having the option to buy one. And in fact, neither the Marine or DA books had a cost listed for Psychic Hoods. Is this a screw-up by GW and non-Premier Room Priests are supposed to go along with the other books in Premier Room Priests? Or has GW been shockingly unobservant about an error spreading over <laughs> multiple books and data slates? Um, <laughs> shocking? I don't know if I'd necessarily say it would be shocking. Not at it, all. It, it, there would be a fine precedent for that. As always, check the FAQs first to see if they have addressed this. Do we? I don't know if we have a Space Wolf FAQ yet. That'd be quick. Yeah, I don't it's think norm- so. No, yeah. I don't believe we do. So, uh, And I don't think uh, Space Marines were eroded to have to pay for it. So is it, a, is it a discrepancy where old school rune priests have to pay for it and nobody else has to? Possibly. It could be intentional. It could be overlooked. We'll have to wait until the Space Wolf Errata comes out and see if they address it. Uh, otherwise, I, yeah, I can't really, you know, that's yeah. something I don't have access to as far as if that is an intentional error or not. I, I mean, my guess on this is cut and paste because Rune Priest, I believe, had to buy them in the past. Right. And they probably just cut and paste that from the back window of this one. So I didn't notice it, that type thing, but... I didn't look at Primaris Room Priest as closely, and this looks like cut and paste from the Primaris Room Priest from the other Like, basically, factions. like, c- cut and paste Primaris, replace Librarian with Room Priest, call it a day. Yeah. And so, yeah, everything <laughs> they say is, is there, so this this one's on GW as to uh, how's it supposed to be. I will say the model for the Room Priest does not have a Psychic Hood modeled. Yeah. So it may for like whereas the Primaris one always does because that's on mm-hmm. the model. So it may be it a maybe just part of them, but then does it cost five points or not? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. if it says they can buy one, then it would cost five points to buy one. If they just have the rule without having the option to buy the war gear, it's just a rule that's right. on the unit. So okay, and this is you know one of the things that comes with the fact that when you haven't when all your rules are unit specific rather than across an army, you know, like they mm-hmm. used to be. Some units will work differently than others, and that's just an oddity of the game right now. All right. Uh, now we move on to Eldar territory with a couple of letters. First is a letter from Daniel Hawthorne. Daniel writes, Hi, Rob. I wanted to address something raised in the most recent episode, essentially the mocking of Shining Spears. <laughs> they were great in 6th and very good in 7th. They lost access to hit and run in 7th. I know a lot of players maligned them because they were garbage in 3rd and pretty bad in 4th, but they were really capable in 6th and 7th and don't deserve to be mocked. In fact, they may have benefited from more synergy... 
from more from synergistic bonuses than other units. Caned Awakened, for instance, or Prescience and Fortune. The ability to make cover saves on a 4-up without having to jink and getting to ignore dangerous terrain checks made them resilient and able to redeploy for maximum benefit. Not to mention their speed and strength when charging meant they were capable counter to enemy artillery, assuming you weren't just deleting units that were spilled from a transport and distracting opponents by forcing them to fire upon a unit that was frustratingly tough. Keep up the good work. Regards, D.W. Hawthorne. Hmm. So, Dennis, you want to address this one? <laughs> sure. Um... <laughs> And I, 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 I don't want to sound too mocking with my voice. I, that, that's unfair, but, uh, but we, we've had, we have many strong opinions on Shining Spears in past editions. My, my gripe about Shining Spears in past editions was they could only take the Shuriken Cata, or Twin Shuriken Catapult. They could not take the Shuriken Cannon because that got taken away from them. Yeah. They could not take the Scatter Laser because they never had the option. So for cheaper points and I could get a unit that had a better gun better range and had a lot of all the same tricks and was it was cheaper yeah so point efficiency is yes, really where yeah. shining spears fell down and when they lost the access to hit and run and yet their armies yeah. were only good or their attacks were only really strong on charging like yes. on the charge when suddenly they weren't good at that anymore yeah, if, if their weapons could be good for more than just the charge that that would be wonderful, but I'd say more often than not, I would play against opponents would notice I'd have Shining Spears on the table, and they would maneuver to where I was in a bad position, or they would get a charge off on me, and then my weapons did nothing, and it's just, and once they lost hit and run, it's like, okay, I can't shoot as well as normal jet bikes, I can't get out of combat if I'm locked there, um, I just found them very frustrating to use. Right, whereas now... They've got the tools with. They've got the tools with stratagems to be able to fall back and yeah. charge again. That and also um, just the stratagem for advance and charge yeah. is so good. Yes, and I think right now you're seeing them too in a lot of Inari builds. Yeah, so they're getting to do like soul do burst some awesome. serious damage and then soul burst. Yeah. to safety. So um, you're seeing the point efficiency there. Yeah, because now they're very point efficient. Yeah. They're much because they're, they're point wise they're right around the same maybe they're slightly more expensive than jet bikes but you can get way more out of them if you want a strong you know having them as a strong charging assault unit that can then get away and charge again later yeah. and, and it's just amazing because the units themselves have not changed it's just the the additional rules of stratagems have, yeah. and have made them good yeah it's no they they I think I remember you like you were a big fan of them in fifth edition. Sixth I liked them in fifth, sixth, and seventh. I was eh, and then like, eighth, eighth. When I played the when Index Forty K came out, oh, uh, they were amazing. I was like, and then oh they my got gosh. even mm-hmm. better with the codex. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think if you listen to many past episodes, yes, I was down on them and put them as like my one Eldar unit I thought needed reworks or needed something because they were well like, for a long time it was Warp Spiders for you because they were so risky because you'd like yeah. lose half of them and then, then Warp then. Spiders became amazing yeah and then it was Shining <laughs> Spears and now Shining Spears are amazing mm-hmm. so it, oh, what is my, my worst one now that's probably a, a prediction for the next amazing Eldar unit <laughs> yeah Striking Scorpions? Striking Scorpions? Yeah. No, striking Scorpions are decent. I just don't like them. That's a personal preference. That's not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't and think they're bad. It's just personal. You I love Banshees. But I they... love Banshees, but they've never been great. They've been good, but never great. Probably um, the Wraith Blades and Wraith I like Scar. Wraith Blades, though. Wraith... I, I like them, but... So, I, I think whether or not a unit is good or bad is all relative. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously for preference, but uh, then you've got the point efficiency. So, I mean... 
Shining Spears may Rangers. have been. That's, awesome. that's probably one of my least because Rangers except, never kill anything. Except yeah. Rangers right now. I know. Everybody else likes Rangers but me. Well, because Rangers <laughs> are not, like, you can stick them pretty much anywhere and they're nigh impossible mm-hmm. to yeah. shift a third train. It's yeah. one of the few units that actually does benefit from being in cover. True. Mm-hmm. I just, they never kill anything for me. Yeah. They're super cheap, though. That's they are super cheap, well, and, and they're super hidey. Yep. And, well, and also sniper rifles that can do mortals. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Is, don't all snipers do that? Yeah, but they, they are your snipers. That's oh, what I'm saying. They're they're yeah. mortal wound output that doesn't require psychics. Yep. Yeah, but they're not good at it. Mm. They're decent at it. Well, then maybe my dice are just bad. That is also very <laughs> possible, right? Because <laughs> I mean, a sniper that can do one mortal wound. I mean, I will finally kill a HQ in turn six, yeah, five or six, probably. If you're running three units of them. <laughs> No, I was just doing one five-man unit. I can normally get one wound off a turn, which still doesn't feel very snipery to me. No, not so much. Mm-hmm. But no, I've seen them used a very great effect, and especially ally talk rangers. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, so, again, yeah. they're near oh, yeah. impossible. So yep. I will just have to start thinking of what is my my worst unit in the Eldar Codex, so that way we'll know what's going to be the best unit in the Eldar Codex in the future. There you go. <laughs> Storm Guardians. Storm. Hey, I've actually no, heard of Storm people Guardians building Storm Guardians. Good. The only bad thing about Storm Guardians is you have to buy an upgrade sprue. That is very hard. Mm-hmm. That is all fine cast now. Is it all yeah. fine? Oh. Yes. Huh. It's not even a good Because <laughs> it used to be metal upgrades. That's oh, why wow. it's all fine cast now. Oh, yeah. I thought they had a, uh, okay. nope. I thought they had a plastic one. That'd be nope. tough. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah. Mm. All right. And then uh, continuing the Eldar Love, we've got a letter from the possibly one of the best names to ever write in, D'Artagnan McLovish. I love that name. You by changed the way. your name to McLovin? <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. Been listening to you for about a year now, and I appreciate hearing your perspective on things. I'm fairly new to the hobby, having finally taken the plunge after Dark Imperium was released. And listening to you guys has helped me work through the early trial and error of being a first timer by being a sort of moral support that you probably don't know that. <laughs> I also appreciate the time you put into reading listener questions and discussing them, as well as your list reviews. Your insight on those has been great to listen to and has helped me in my list building. I am so sorry. I am so sorry of what we've done to you. (laughs) And here we are going to review your list because we're bad people. That being said, I'm in sort of a creative void when it comes to my craft world list. I have an idea as to what I want it to be, but I don't quite know how to execute it in a manner that feels completely satisfactory. I always feel like I'm missing something important. I'm not quite sure what i'd appreciate you looking over my latest iteration of my list and letting me know what your opinions are this is a 2000 point craft world eldar list so first off he's got a, a same hand battalion with uh a far farseer skyrunner at, with shining spear two warlock skyrunners with witch blades uh two units of five dire avengers with exarch with the dual shuriken catapults two units of five rangers a unit of five banshees and an exarch uh, the Exarch has an Executioner, everyone else's standard power sword. Uh, two units of ten striking scorpions, one of which is an Exarch with the Scorpion's Claw. And then a Wave Serpent with Shuriken Cannon, Twin Shuriken Cannon, Spirit Zone, Star Engines, and Vectored Engines. And then an Outrider, which is an Autark Skyrunner with the Shimmer Plume. Uh, then a Banshee Mask, Fusion Pistol, Laser Lance, and Twin Shuriken Catapult. And he's using Fate's Messenger as his Warlord trait. A Warlock Skyrunner with a Witchblade. A uh, unit of three Vipers with Bright Lance and Shuriken Catapult, a uh, unit of three Wind Riders with Shuriken Cannon, another unit of three Wind Riders with Shuriken Cannon. And then finally, he dips over into Forge World for Flyers and has a Nightwing with a twin Bright Lance, Twin Shuriken Cannon, Crystal Targeting Matrix, and a Phoenix with the Nightfire Missile Array, Phoenix Pulse Laser, Twin Shuriken Cannon, and a Crystal Targeting Matrix. And that comes in at 2,000 points total. Uh, 
He then continues, the philosophy behind this list is strike hard, strike fast. And in that spirit, I have as many things as possible that can move quickly or deep strike in. The tactics are to have the dire Avengers and Rangers take and hold objectives with my Rangers uh, using a pure unbidden to show up directly on them while the Avengers try to stay near the easier obtain objectives. While the Wind Riders will act as harassers and capture objectives further out. The Flyers and Vipers will hunt large game like tanks and monsters, as well as using the Phoenix's Nightfire Missile Array to hamper anti-armor units such as Hellblasters or Devastators. The Scorpions will be used to, as a backline harassment unit, tying up important units or assaulting characters that leave themselves exposed, while the Banshees get dropped out, dropped off white where they need to by the Wave Serpent with its, all its vehicle upgrade goodies, keeping them safe from enemy fire and giving them some powerful backup to boot. The Farseer and Warlocks will be doing what they do best, using their psychic powers to buff whoever they can, focusing their main efforts on the Scorpions and or Banshees, hitting them with Empower to get their hits to stick better, using Guide on the Vipers, and so on. The Autarch I plan on keeping close to either the Wind Riders or close combat units as the situation demands, charging high-value targets where the situation merits. Let me know if you what you think and what all I can improve, because I'm sure there's something important I'm missing. The only models I actually have for this are the Wind Riders, Vipers, Wave Serpent, Farseer, and a Warlock Skyrunner, six Striking Scorpions, and a unit of Rangers. So I'm still pretty flexible on what to add and subtract from the list, as long as it keeps with the philosophy of the list, of course. Thanks again, D'Artagnan McLevish. P.S. Do you think Forge World is ever going to bring the Corsair upgrade kit back and actually release rules for Corsairs in 8th edition? I just missed the train with that faction having jumped in right as they went out and makes me very sad to not have my space elf pirates, especially with the Battle Brothers beta rule making them unplayable except as auxiliaries. On the second point, well, I mean, technically they're in the index, but yeah, it's because of the way Battle Brothers works. They, I mean, you can play them as their own thing. They just don't get any of the benefits of the craft world. So, uh, so they're not gone forever. They're just not really usable as you know as a standalone army right now. Will they ever bring the parts back? Who knows? Who knows what? It's really hard to gauge what Forge World is doing because Imperial armor books have pretty much disappeared. Horse Heresy is almost done. Um, and they seem to be focusing most of their effort on uh, Blood Bowl, Titanicus, Necromunda, and uh, uh, Lord of the Rings right now, strangely mm-hmm. enough. I was surprised to see that yeah. game come back in, in fullness. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, who knows what they'll do with the, the upgrade kits. But it was sad to see them go on, you know, no, you know, no longer available. So, Dennis, you've had a chance to kind of look over this list before we started recording. So, obviously, you are our Eldar expert, such as we are with any expertise that we have. Um, so... What's your initial take on the list? Um, I, the two th- takes I have right away is it does look like it has a lot of heavy firepower because between the two Forge World Flyers and all the Vipers, the three Vipers with the um, Bright Lances, yeah, that provided rolls work well. That should delete at least one thing from the board a turn, right? Like one big thing, and that that you'll you'll want that. I don't know if how I like the idea of the the Banshees and the the Wave Serpent. I know that. For a squad of five, that is probably the only way to get them across the board safely to where they need to go. Right. So I'm fine with that. Personal opinion, I would take a lot more Banshees. But with the way this is going with the Striking Scorpions, I think um, I think that they do have to be nine inches away, I think. Because I think everything's nine inches. Yes. So Masters of Stealth. That's, that's my only concern with them, is I know you, you want to pop them up into the enemy's back line. But most players will not give you a place to put them. Right. That's, Smart players, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, competitively, this is going to be... that. That's a hard move to pull off because a lot of people can bring deep strikers of some some type or other. And also, I mean, it's still... 
you know, not only is it a nine inch drop, you, but that's also a nine inch charge that has to be made to make them no. really effective. The same hand does get to reroll failed charges. That yes. does, but still so nine, it's, nine yeah. is still tricky to make yeah. even with rerolls. Yeah. Yeah. They've got nothing else to keep them survivable if they don't make that charge. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a risky, you, you know, it's a risky play. And most armies are going, you know, unless the, the one case where this will actually be decently useful is going up against like somebody who's running a, the, the lucky 32. These guys will murder the lucky 32. Well, yeah. that, that is a true statement. Yeah. So that that's my only one was is concerned there is just I don't know if the striking scorpions will play out as you intend. Yeah. Um, but the, the, they're still a solid unit. Do you um, think you'd be better off? I mean, you mentioned more banshees. Do you think you'd be better off switching from two squads of ten striking scorpions to one of ten and maybe one of five, and then add more banshees? Or maybe drop one of the ten, just have one striking scorpion one, and then go a second squad of banshees. It would be my thought. But if you do that, then, then you need the, the second. The, I would recommend the second wave, wave serpent. serpent. Yes. Yeah, you need that to get them there, and then you got to figure out what else are you going to drop because mm-hmm. uh, that's another hundred and sixty-four points you have to come up with. True. Um, my other concern is the troops. The um, rangers will probably be fine, as we talked about. They they will be your stealth masters. They're not going to be as Heidi as the Altioch rangers. Right. But rangers are still solid. Um, I'm concerned with the Dire Avengers. I agree that right now two Avenger Shirk and Hadpults is probably the way to go on the Exarchs, because that gives them the extra firepower. But a squad of five on a troop, it, unless you're hiding them and that's their sole purpose, is... It's not enough. They're going to die too easy. They will die. Um, I mean, they've got... Uh, the Exarch's probably the... He's a solid character because he's got a four-up invone at all times. Right. So he'll stay stay around. Yeah. Um, but I've just... I don't see a lot of luck on men-sized squads all the time. Um, I don't really know what to say on that one because you need at least three troops to get that battalion there. Right. Mm-hmm. Unless maybe combine the two Dire Avengers and... Because the 10-man squad will be a lot... Oh, they'll, they'll be hardier, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And also, the, one of the other benefits of Dire Avengers is if you hold them up somewhere, your Overwatch is better. Right. And so the more models in the unit, the more you have to Overwatch with. Yeah. So that that would be my one suggestion there is maybe combine the two Dire Avengers into one. Just to go with three troops instead of four? And then go with three troops instead of four. I mean, you'll have a little less mobility, but a little more survivability on that. Yeah. And since that is like you're one of your few anchor units kind of sit back and and stand on a point... Yeah, you want bodies there because you want to stay on the point. It does open you up a little bit to, you know, morale. Because that's one, you know, as we've mentioned, small units aren't really vulnerable to morale because they're dead before it matters. But but that's a minor a minor quibble. They're leadership eight, so they'll they'll probably hold pretty well. The next one I, I, I would this is gonna sound so weird, but I, I question is the, the Windrider jet bikes. Um and and Sam Hain, you'd think you'd you'd want Windrider jet bikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it'd be it's thematic to have. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's perfectly thematic. But um, my take here on it is, they're they're again men squad, so they could be harassings. But if you want to get up there fast, I might say drop both of them and replace them with um, a Shining Spear unit, just because that is another squad that will get up there fast, harass, and can target something. And the Sam Hain stratagem is the one that lets them advance and charge. You know, honestly, I could see. I I would see. I, I understand. I'm assuming that he he's wanting this all to be same hand for you know, thematic reasons. But this almost like if I was playing this competitively, I would possibly do the larger 
battalion or the the battalion as ally talk because you've got the rangers yes the the striking scorpions won't get much benefit from that but you've got the rangers you've got like you could move the like you could even move the vipers up there keep the vipers more than 12 inches away so they're benefiting um and then uh yeah but if you move the vipers he doesn't have enough for a well, Van- that's but that's why you start like you'd have to rearrange things to put in instead of the three units of or instead you'd have to put in like you move something around to get three units move, of move the scorpions and and um, banshees down to the other one and make that a vanguard. Yeah, that's why like, instead of making them an outrider, make it a vanguard because it's the same benefit either way as far as command points, and then put yeah put shining spears and then. Because actually having the Banshees there would let you re-roll the... Ch- you know. Yeah. So yeah, move the Banshees there, move the... Uh, replace the Wind Riders there, and maybe do one unit of Striking Scorpions. So you can re-roll that charge and keep them as a Vanguard and then let your other one be Ally Talk and benefit from the minus one... Or, you know, the... What is it? The minus one to hit from more than 12 inches away. Because yeah. that way your Rangers are hardier. Your Dire Avengers are hardier if they're staying back in the home territory. And technically move your Flyers over there. Yeah, because flyers, because your flyers, flyers don't get any, right? Because yeah. your flyers don't get any benefit from I can charge exactly. So making putting them into the detachment that's going to be alley talk makes they're already minus one hard to hit, and then put alley talk on top of that. Yeah, really hard to hit. Yeah, no that, and honestly, I mean, both of those fly. The, I'm not convinced about the night fire missile array because he's like, oh, I'm going to target uh, like marine units to make them harder to hit. You've got to actually land a wound on them, and I don't think the night fire is strong enough. What, what's its strength? Okay, so that's the, yeah. Because I want you know, we, it, we had to look this up because it, we don't use the. Their I, don't, I don't own Forge much Forge World. Yeah, is it and is it hit or wound? Okay, so so the Phoenix missile or the night fire missile array. It's forty eight inch heavy two d six. So it's lots of shots. Fair enough. Uh, strength four, AP minus one, one damage. If a unit suffers any unsaved wounds from this weapon, your opponent must subtract one from their hit rolls until the end of the turn. Strength four, AP minus four has a good minus shot. one. Oh, minus one. Oh, AP no, minus yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And see, that's what I'm thinking. Like going against Marines. Okay, so two d six. So let's say seven shots on average. We're kind of going to math hammer this out. Seven shots on average. You're hitting on threes, and you've got the crystal targeting matrix, so you don't you ignore the heavy penalty. So you're hitting on threes. So seven shots, five of those are going to hit. Half of those are going to wound. So you're saying like three wounds, half of those are going to be saved. You might get a wound. If you're lucky, you'll get the benefit. But there's a lot of ways that could go wrong. And for that, you are paying 205 points. Now, it does have a pulse laser on it, which is pretty nice strength nine ap minus three three damage, three damage. Heavy yeah two. and yeah. it does have a ton of wounds and it yeah it has a ton of wounds which is really good uh but that's still 205 points i'm and i'm just wondering if it like a uh crimson hunter exarch might be a more reasonable point or even a hemlock hemlock is 210 okay so hemlock's right in that same price point hemlock will not have that many wounds no the hemlock's got 12 so, I mean, the Phoenix is 16, and if it's an ally talk Phoenix, it'll be, you know, even harder to hit. Crimson Hunter is 175. Okay, so. Well, so Crimson Hunter is 160, Crimson Hunter Exarch is 175. So, you could save 30 points by making that into a Crimson Hunter Exarch. You wouldn't get the minus one effect on people, but you can, you still have, like, the pulse laser. You get a pulse laser and two bright lances. So, you can, the da- it's still got the damage output. It's strength eight instead of strength nine, but 
You're re-rolling ones to hit with it. I mean, it's it's six of one, half dozen of the other, I think, when it comes down to it. I, I, I'd be curious to see how often the night fire missiles actually end up working out for him. Yeah, I, I will grant you that, because the X, Crimson Hunter Exarch is a solid choice, especially in Altioch. Yeah. Because... And I think the, I mean, yes, the, the Phoenix would still get the same benefit of being hard to hit with the Ally Talk as well, but, but yeah, that's, it is sad that the, uh, Crimson Hunter can't take the crystal targeting matrix, whereas the others have it built into them. You know, if you save that 30 points, that would allow you to fit the Shining Spears. There you go. Because your Shining Spears are 93 points versus the Wind Riders, which are 69. So that one change would allow you to upgrade one of those squads and still then keep the other, uh, Wind Riders in there. Yeah. And then a, a squad of striking scorpions at 140 times 10 versus banshees is 130. So that gets you another 10 points. You could do another upgrade if you wanted to. So that's that seems like like basically I, the only thing you really yeah trade off the phoenix for the crimson hunter exarch, trade out one unit of wind riders for shining spears, trade out one of the 10 man squads of or oh. replace one of the 10 mans with a 10 man. Banshees. Well, you would increase the, the squad cha- to 10. To 10, okay. In the Wave Serpent. Okay. And then shift around, like, make make your Outrider same hand, but make the other one, uh, make your battalion. And combine the two Dire Avengers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Resiliency. I th- yeah. I, I think, so this is really close to getting what you want. Yeah. There's just a couple of things to, to swap out. Unfortunately, none of the things we're recommending you swap out you you, the things we're recommending you change you don't have yet and so you've got the well no he said like he's got it we we've got a lot of flexibility because he doesn't have those things yet so but the which he thanked you for making him buy more stuff earlier in the post (laughs) there you go (laughs) i mean and we didn't even talk about the farseer and the warlocks but Honestly, there, I think there's they're, not much you can change about them. No, and they're they're fine as is. Honestly, the warlocks were on bikes, weren't they? Yes, uh, yes, all everything's of them are. on bikes. Yeah, all his HQs are on bikes. And he said he's using guide primarily. I was going to use guide for like the vipers to make sure that they, because that's what reroll. Yeah. yeah, guide and fortune is on the farseer, and then one warlock has conceal reveal. The yeah, guide, one, yeah, the guide is reroll failed hit rolls. Next one has protect jinx, which is also survivability. And the third one's in the other detachment. Uh, the third one has Empower Innervate. Which, which, that's the one to add one to wound rolls for infantry or bikers, or subtract one from all wound rolls made against a unit, one, or made by a unit within 18 inches in the fight phase. Which well, and empower is, empower is only wound rolls in the fight phase. So you're going to yeah. use that to empower your Banshees to get plus one to wound. Or the Scorpions. Yeah. With the Shining Spears, same hand. Do they yes. stay in that? Yeah, 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 they stay. Oh, yeah. You no, shining spears have yeah. to be same hand, right? Because that would allow you to use their stratagem, which would be pretty beefy. Yeah. Yes. Um, still charge after advancing and reroll hit rolls of one in the fight phase. Was I incorrect on that? I've heard on uh, shining spears. I guess they don't fall back and charge anymore, do they? I guess they. Well, I, well so so that would have been incorrect when I was, for some is reason that I another thought stratagem. That, so, well, there's a feigned retreat. Uh, it's a two point CP. Uh, use this stratagem if an Osirian okay unit, falls back. Um, okay, yeah, so that's how they back. They so can still shoot and charge this turn. Okay, so they still okay. So that's how you do it. Is you have a which they could still shoot because they could still fly, shoot because of fly. Yeah. Right. So this bit, but this would allow them to fall back and charge. Yep. So you still have that. Okay. So it's not built into the unit, but because you have that available, it's that's handy. It, it makes them very. It makes them yeah. much better because you could get them into cover, save them around a wall. Yeah. 
and then and thing is, if they're then, around a wall and then you charge with them and they can't see you, can't you. Overwatch. Yep. yep. So they're protected even further. Or just send the Autark with them too, because well, he's also, got the Banshee mask. Well, and, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You send the Autark in first to get into the charge. They can't Overwatch him, and then once he, they're once he's locked in, they can't Overwatch again. But he can't advance a charge like they can. Did he take any relic? Did he talk about that? Yeah, the the um, Autark has the relic that minus one to hit the Autark. Okay, at all times. Which I question why take an Autark. And then I see the relic, and the relic is Autark only. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, and it goes with the theme of I'm hard to hit. Right. Yep. And I strike fast, strike that's, hard. That's a cool theme. Yeah, well done there. Yeah. And also the Autark, remember the Autark also has the Path of Command, which lets him recycle command, command points. points. Yeah. Mm. And you add one to hit roll, or re-roll hit rolls of one for units within six inches. So if he's running up with the... uh the Shining Spears. Now, that's the one thing is if you make that first battalion ally talk, you lose. He can't benefit them because they're different yeah. craft worlds. Right. But he's currently in the other one with the same hand. Well, well, right now they're in his list as it is. They're both same. Right. Same man. But uh, yeah, that would he, would, would he would need to stay Sam Hain. But but then he but he only balance. He only benefits the Shining Spears. But that's fine because no, the he shiny- also benefits the banshees and the striking. Well, that's stuff. true. If you if you move the banshees, right. we're, 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 we're going to move them charges. all down to yeah. make the vanguard down here. Oh, and make that an out a vanguard instead of an outrider, right? Yeah, because we got rid of one of the wind riders and moved the vipers up to the other one for the. Oh, to get that's right to get the ally talk right. So th- there's a lot of arrows moving things around. <laughs> What was the idea with the Vipers and Alatoc? Well, because, okay, so the the Vipers are all using Bright Lances, so they don't need to be up close. They've got like a 48-inch range. Mm-hmm. So you give them Alatoc, so they're minus one to you hit from more than 12 inches away. So it just it's more survivability for them. It, it's survivability. Yeah, the um, the Wild Host gives them, it makes all of their weapons um, oh, true. no penalty to hit oh, wow. true, for moving true, true. and firing heavy weapons. Oh, then we can still keep them down. <laughs> so they, they could go in either and benefit yeah. either way. Yeah. So they're either harder to hit yeah. or them shoot better. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Well, shoot better might be more useful for it being true. True. I mean, either he way. could go either way because it goes with the minus to hit um, theme again. Yeah. The one where it really doesn't matter is like are there any units that really don't benefit either way all the psychic ones mm-hmm. well that's well that's true i mean unless you're going to be charging in with the uh which i don't know why you would but charging i mean they've got witch blades which are passable you know they're pretty mm-hmm. decent which blades are okay which blades are i mean like i said they're passable they're decent mm-hmm. that's a cool list you know it, it's not far from where there's just a few tweaks and tunes that you could do to get you know a little bit more point mm-hmm. efficiency or put in a us like a harder hitting unit with the shining spears and but, the and the banshees yeah increasing the size of that to the 10 is, is cool yeah because you uh, i mean because with six i just don't think you get the damage output to justify bringing them in. well and you're going to get the disruption with the striking scorpions yeah it's the same amount of disruption with five or ten yeah um they're there to cause uh backfield chaos it's the same function just fewer points well, let's see. If we if we keep that as an outrider, we can only move two elites into because outriders only have room for two, or vanguards only have room for two fast attacks. So we've kind of de- got to decide where we're going to put those because shining spears are still f- fast attack, not elite. So well, he could do one wind rider in the alatok and one in the same hand. Well, I think you drop what you replace one of the wind riders with that's yeah, the shining you spear. You were doing that, yeah. yeah. So, um. Yeah, trying to figure out where you could move. I mean, 
thing is, if you make up the points, you could just swap out one Rind Rider for a Shining Spear and just leave that alone and mm-hmm. keep everything else yeah. up in. Uh, the only thing is, I would move the flyers up to the... If I'm going to make one of Malatok, yeah. I'd move the flyers up there. Yeah. And then you could... Honestly, you could still move the Wave Serpent and the Banshees down into the... Because that'd be one Elite and a dedicated transport. You could move them into the Outrider, and then they'd get the benefit of re-rolling to charge... And you can move a striking scorpion. You can down move there. the well, and if you replace one strike, if you drop one shine striking scorpion to buff up the banshees yeah. into a unit of ten, you can yeah, you can move those two elites down into the into the uh, outrider. They'd get the benefit of rerolling charges, and then that keeps all your other stuff, your more defensive stuff, up top. Mm-hmm. And you'd have a, f- I mean, you'd have a few more points because. Yeah however many points you have left from buffing up one unit of banshees and dropping the other scorpions which would be what about like 10 points so are we talking about just like swapping scorp the count unit count on scorpions and banshees so i have a smaller unit that was that was my recommendation okay that way you still got the two units of striking scorpions and honestly a smaller one might be easier to drop in into a smaller spot where it's easier to find a bubble for that you were going to place five models than a unit now i did that though i did that with him running an exarch well, yeah, and all of these have exarchs, so okay. so that that's pretty much given. Yeah. So okay, so you've got ten points. I don't. So it'd be one forty, and then seventy, and then one thirty for the banshees instead of the sixty-five. The banshees, the executioner, on there. Because I know the executioner and the power claw are some of the more expensive options. Unfortunately, there's no underslung weapon that you could afford to upgrade to mm-hmm. on the vipers because going from the let's see, well, let's see, it's a shuriken. Ah, you need 15 points to upgrade all the Vipers to having Shuriken Cannon instead of the Twin Shuriken Catapults. Because the Catapults are 5 and the Cannon is 10. So if you could find 5 more points to squeeze out of somewhere, but I don't know where you would. Well, I'm sure if we put it in a, a list grinding thing, yeah. we could come up with something. But I've got it in Battlescribe now. But all in all, I think we've got the, yeah. the basic big, structure. Big suggestions. Yeah, yeah so, so basics are move... Well, that's the thing is like if we move, we can't move both because of the, the way the Outrider is built, we can't move both the Howling Banshees and both units of Scorpions down into the Outrider because you only have two elite slots down there. So you'd have to leave somebody up top. Or make it a Vanguard. Well, but then you can only have two room for two fast attacks there. Right. And then that would be you could move the Vipers. Yeah, you over. could move the Vipers up into Ally Talk. They can still yeah. benefit somewhat. Um, uh, it's a battalion now? It's a battalion now. Battalion and a Vanguard? It's a battalion and an Outrider oh, right okay. now. So we could make it an out. If we give up a fast attack, which seems very unsame un- hand, we can make it a Vanguard. But I, I'll agree with that statement. Yes. So I mean, Unless you combine s- them. You could combine them into a bigger unit. You're only giving up a command. I mean, really, you're giving up a command point. But it ha- you'd have to run everything at same hand, mm-hmm. which he is right now. Yeah. But you might as well keep the same hand, like keep the outrider just to get the extra command point. So, uh, yeah, just so. But basically, it's combine the two Dire Avengers because you don't pay extra for the Exarch, do you? It's just a free upgrade. So that I don't know. I don't remember. I, th- I think I, I think it, that's the case. You pay for the weapons. Yeah, Dire Avengers are just points per model. There's no cost for an Exarch upgrade. So and the Shuriken catapults are four each. So very cheap. Oh, wait a minute. You said Avenger Shuriken catapults are four each, and you've got an Exarch that has two of them? Yes. You drop one of those, that's eight points. There's yep. your, there it is. <laughs> you upgrade the Vipers to have Bright Lance and Shuriken Cannon instead of the twin Shuriken catapults. There it is. We got it. 
book it, done. <laughs> there you go. There's your list. So basically, combine the Dire Avengers into one unit, and then obviously replace one of the Exarchs. Should, should I tell Rob technically that's only four points, because he still has a, the normal guy has the You gun. shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> you shut up with your logic and your details. Well, this is why I said we, we need to probably like um, mm-hmm. put it into a, a numbers crunching thing and come up with something. But we can, off the top of our cuff of our head, put the... So wait, so did you say dropping the scorp were you dropping the scorpions down to five or six because right now the banshees are at six so you only need to add four models because it's five banshees and an exarch because that might get us the that might squeeze out the extra point banshees at at nine plus an exarch is 133 okay and that is with the shuriken pistol and execution okay because right now the striking scorpions are 152 for a unit of 10 and then if you re- drop the, the... But how much are the Scorpions if they are a unit of six versus a unit of five? Because five, they're at 70. Which is 10. But that's no extra gear on the Exarch. So if you added one, takes you up to 84. So they're three points more expensive than the Banshee unit. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe my dream of, of giving those Shuriken Catapults won't quite squeeze in. Or Shuriken Cannons. Well, unless you drop them down to five. Oh, well, yeah. If you drop them down to five. Which makes it a lot easier fit. And and again, kind of going back to the comment earlier, I think really five striking scorpions serves the same purpose as ten. You're looking for backfield disruption. Uh, you know, if you're playing ITC missions, you're getting recon. You're getting line breaker for old school. Um, I mean, they're they're serving multiple purposes there as, as a five-man unit or a ten-man unit. Yeah. That's if you're playing ITC. Yeah. So, okay, so quick rundown. Maybe change the battalion to Ally Talk, combine the Dire Avengers, swap the unit count on Banshees and Scorpions. Mm-hmm. Make So make the Banshees 10, make one of the Scorpions 5. That yep. should get you the points to then. Um, and you keep the, the Wave Serpents fine. Uh, and if that's Ally Talk, move your two Flyers up into that detachment so they get the benefit from being harder to hit. And then in your Outrider... Um, Honestly, I think, let's see. You've got the weapons gear that you were going to add to the Vipers. Right. The Vipers swap out the twin shirk and catapults yeah. for uh, shirk and cannons. Uh, replace one of the wind riders with a uh, shining spear. With a shiny, you know, shining spears. And then uh, since your flyers, which you moved around, uh, replace the Phoenix with a Crimson Hunter Exarch. And that should get you, that point wise, that should be about right. Uh, for greater effect, move the Banshees and one unit of Striking Scorpions into the uh, same hand Outrider Detachment. Uh, and if you decide you want to move all of them down there, then move the Vipers up to the Ally Talk Detachment and just go with the minus one to be hit rather than the ignoring the heavy penalty. Well, and it's it's your call too, but I, I think the, uh, the unit that goes into the same hand... It, Really, it could go either way, but if you end up getting the re-rollable charges, you could protect that unit of 10 more because you're going to want that second turn assault whenever you're deep striking them in the backfield. Yeah, so put the 10 there yeah. and then let just the 5 to, just kind of be there. Yeah, to, for maybe a, a turn 3 drop. Or uh, maybe drop on an objective somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And then that's their survivability. Is, right, is, is there, is they're in reserve. Three, turn yeah. 3 drop. Yep. Yeah. But that it's basically the same units for the most part, a couple of changes, and then just some stuff kind of re- mm-hmm. retuned. But yeah, trying to keep the theme of the list. And I think, yeah, no, I, I like the theme of the list. I think it's a good, it's a good solid theme. That's and cool. this will just give it a little bit more, a little bit more punch while keeping it primarily the same. 
All right, now we have three uh, Twitter questions. One of which is a re is from someone who's written earlier in the letter. Uh, D.W. Hawthorne uh, had a Twitter question. When you talk about risk reward not making assault enticing enough, do you think that it could be fixed if you simply change the rule about wounds, other than mortal wounds, not spilling over to say only not spilling over in the shooting phase? Oh, I think that could get messy. Yeah, a- and any time, and I uh, like we like when we talked about it before. Uh, I think it was last episode talking about you know maybe having morale count du- losses in the fight phase counting double that gets really messy to to track. It, it's a fun idea, but uh, it you know if we're going back to those first principles of fun, intuitive, and balanced, it's not intuitive because anytime you've got to track multiple kill totals and figure out when they were like I lost this many units in this phase right. and this many units in that phase. Anytime, like one of the things I like about eighth is that shooting and assault are pretty much resolved the same way as far as like wounds and then leadership afterwards. Uh, this would totally break that. So I, what is it an interesting idea? Sure. Is it a good fix? I, I think it would cause more, tr- more trouble. People would, anytime you do something like that, people are going to forget it. People are going to forget when losses were done when. Yep. Um, or like, well, this guy had two wounds. He took one wound in the shooting phase and then one in the fight phase. And so he died in the fight phase or they take, it's like, true. Yeah. It's, it's a mess. So yeah, I don't know if I would do that. It's just more book game, more bookkeeping and And, it's going to slow down the game. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to add bookkeeping to this if you can help it. Uh, next is from Killmain Burn. Uh, Killmain Burn writes, do you have, do you like having GW coming back into the tournament scene? What negatives and positives do you see uh, from them putting their stamp on a convention? Um, and this is in regards to the fact that they're going to start uh, highlighting particular events as like Warhammer com- community approved and, and kind of getting involved there. I think for the big events, it totally makes sense. And they've already kind of done that anyway by sending, you know, sending their media team and sending like Duncan or Chris to, to do painting there and, and providing price support. You know, they've already kind of done that. Um, it really does only serve the big events, but I think, I think the positives are it shows that they're engaged and they're paying attention and they're really, they're wanting to get the community involved. I don't know if there's any really negatives to it because they're very careful about not forcing people right now to like, you have to play the GW way. They're letting mm-hmm. the tournament organizers mm-hmm. run things the way they have been. Yep. So. And if, if anything, they've been very eager to provide support and feedback, but also saying, hey, we'll let you – these are our suggestions, but you do it the way you want to. Yeah. So I I really don't think there are any negatives to it. I think it's it's all positive. The If I have a personal negative, it's because the player count to get a Warhammer community <laughs> approved event – I mean, they'll put smaller events like on their catalog, on the calendar, which is great, and it'll help get those events out there for people to see. But uh, – it's really hard to get because originally they said I think it was like 130 applicants. Like if you had 130 people playing GW games, you could get stamped as like a Warhammer community approved like hmm. mid tier. And then they raised it to 500 the next day, and it's like nope, I uh, can't 500 <laughs> 500 people not not across the entire event just playing GW games. Hmm. It's going to be a very hard bar to cross that only a few events are going to make. Like I even think our friends of the Renegade Open are going to be hard-pressed to do that. Yeah, they Because ha- yeah, they had like but- 490 attendees total last year, but that was also included Star Wars, Infinity, Infinity, Bolt Action, Saga, like a whole bunch of different games. So you couldn't... I think they only had at any given time maybe 150 people playing GW events. 
Now, unless they're mm-hmm. allowing that to count, like these people are playing the GT, but then here's all these people in the friendly, and then here's the people that played in Kill Team and Night Joust, and allowing them to add up those yeah. totals, even though those might be the same people, like the same person being counted two or three times, depending on the event. Does that just get them extra well, prize support? It gets well if you hit five. Like if, I think if you hit five hundred, they'll send somebody out. Like they'll send out somebody from the Warhammer community team to be like part of it. So that's your Deptons, your Novas. Yeah, it, that's pretty much LVOs. locked down to your huge yeah. events. So it it's it would be nice if there was a way for the smaller events to get you, you know it, okay yeah not every event's going to get Duncan Rhodes to come out mm-hmm. but even just getting like hey GW sends you a trophy to give to your number your yeah. top player and maybe some uh, like a small amount of prize support mm-hmm. and a little bit of uh, like a little blurb on their site rather than just a one line mention would be nice yep. but it's yeah. it's a that's a hard bar to cross I also understand that as starting out that they're not they would set a high bar for this. Yeah. Who's to say that next year the, the bar isn't lowered to 200? That's true. Or something. Once, yeah, they, that... once they get an idea, because at 500, you are, like you said, looking at your Nova's Adepticon LVO. But that may be that may be fine. Start with three or four events and then next year, double it. And then the next year, double it and stuff like that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So may, yeah. No, that, and that's that's absolutely fair. That's absolutely fair. And then finally, uh, Shadrach Feenstra writes, Hey guys, love the show. I'm trying to start a community. What are some of your tips to help relate the hobby to people from other hobbies? Also, any other advice would be welcome. Thanks. This is a whole episode question. I mean, this, <laughs> I mean, honestly, we could do, we could do a two or three parter on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really, the, the best thing you can do for this, uh, is to, um, have your events, like have your events in nice public spaces, uh, Try to encourage people to have their stuff painted. It, just have have it look nice because the spectacle will draw people in. And have somebody there who's who can pause the game or is just there to like answer questions. Yeah. I mean, to make this a, attractive to the other to people in the part in other hobbies, um, you have to have you have to be able to do things like have events where it's easy for people to see. Like, oh, hey. Painting's not hard because here's yeah. here's like you doesn't have mm-hmm. to be fancy painted, but you know here's here's quick ways to do painting. Uh, push the uh, intro products because you know, a lot of times it's the price or it's the you know the cost of entry is it big or I mean I don't want to get involved in doing that much stuff. Uh, Kill Team and Shadespire are great get yep. great intro products. Mm-hmm. I mean for somebody who's a card gamer or board gamer, a Shadespire or Night Vault is going to be a great way to get them in because it it's. Like three Very. or four models, push fit. There are cards involved, so deck building's a part of it. Mm-hmm. Or kill team. It's like, hey, it's it's kind of a. It comes with a board. It comes with terrain, and here's like five to ten models on a side. Uh-huh. It's that's a really easy buy-in. Uh, the main hobby, like main 40k, that's a bit harder to to bring people into front necessarily from other hobbies. But uh, yeah. anything you can do to make the game up approachable and uh easy, have an easy intro point will obviously help so but like i said you could do it we could do multiple episodes on building a community <laughs> right. also consistency have it out there regularly let yeah. people see it get familiar with it get to the point where and just make friends with a, the you know like hey if you're playing the game at the same time as hey the local magic tournaments and strike up conversations mm-hmm. with people and it doesn't have to even be game related you know just be there be somebody relatable and also, don't look down on somebody else's hobby. Like, if you want to get one of those, like, like you want to get an X-Wing player into 40K, maybe, don't tell them that X-Wing sucks. <laughs> I, which, X-Wing doesn't suck. X-Wing is actually a really yeah. fun game. But, like, you know, don't 
don't necessarily de- don't denigrate somebody else's hobby to push up your own because that'll just make them dislike you because now you're making fun of something yeah. that they they like. Always catch but more people with in, honey. Absolutely. Yeah, back in the dark days of uh sixth and seventh edition, there were a number of other like game companies, uh, game companies that I actually like that make good games. That at like Gen Con, I would go and I'd ask them to explain their game, and they're like, "Oh, well, it's like 40k, except it doesn't suck." And I'm like. That's a terrible pitch. <laughs> that is so true. So many people said that. <laughs> well, and a lot of but, there were a lot of people that were burnt out on how GW of the time was yeah. doing things. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, yeah. But, it, but you know, it's still not a good pitch. <laughs> sell me on what your game does. Don't sell me on what your game isn't. Yeah. And then be ready to support it. I mean, have a have a community, you know, social media page. Yeah. Uh, you know, create a Facebook group. That way, you can all share. You know, your stories whenever you're building these new models and, and painting them. Yeah. Let people see what you're doing. Cause, and, and that, that costs you very little except for time. Yep, it's, exactly. and it's even not a huge time expenditure. Cause once you make it an open page, mm-hmm. as people get in and do stuff, you know, yep. try to, you know, bring in your veteran players, have them posting their stuff and showing it off. Uh, and just have that open for like somebody, Hey, I'm going to be playing. Or it's like somebody like, I don't know how to play, but is anybody going to be playing so I can watch? That's a perfect, you know, it's like, yeah, try to get in a game with somebody just so, you know, just make it available. Yep. But if you're, I mean, it, people, other pe- people who are in other hobbies, they're, I'm assuming you're primarily meaning gaming. They're going to be playing at the same stores. They're going to see, be seeing you buying products, strike up conversations and just have your game out there and just be open and ready to, to inter- just be ready to interact with people. That's mm-hmm. all you really have to do. Right. And that wraps it up for all of our questions. And if you have a question or a letter you want us to read or a list you want us to review, uh, there's three good ways you can do it. The first way is to email us and our uh, email addresses are basically our first names at preferredenemies.com. So uh, Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Our second way is our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash preferredenemies. And we've got our community there. We post stuff that's going on, post what we're working on, events we've been to. And uh, you can like us there and uh, send us messages. Third way is on Twitter. We are preferred enemy, single or singular on uh, Twitter. Uh, and basically, we put out calls for questions there as well. Uh, we take all... All the questions they receive from all those sources, collate them together, put them into our, you know, put the, the document together, and those are the questions we answer on the air. In addition, we have a Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, you can uh, f- help uh, support the show, helps us with uh, travel costs to go to various events, buy new equipment, uh, including our shiny new board, which uh, is, has worked out very nicely for us. So we thank all of you patrons for helping that uh, possible, or help make that possible. Uh, and we give shout outs to all our new patrons. Uh, so William Robinson and Christopher Shelton, thank you very much for joining our Patreon family. We will be opening up uh, orders for the dice soon. In fact, by the time this episode uh, is out, you, our patrons will probably be able to start ordering uh, dice. Now, we will have to send the order to Chessex to actually get the dice made, so we're getting them made to order. But we have, in fact, we gave Nathan a brick here for joining us on the show, and uh, we're pretty happy with how they turned they out. They roll very well. Good. <laughs> I've rolled fives and sixes all day. <laughs> Well, Except then, for the four and three you just rolled. Yes. But. The, 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 <laughs> that then, didn't count. <laughs> then, then you're totally rolling better than I did in Kill Team, yeah. where I could not make a save. Except oh, if, there's a one and a six. But one and a six. I'll take the six. But uh, and we have the uh, icons only on the six, so the preferred enemies logo is on sixes. So if you if what you, you want to see, yeah. 
unlike GW dice where who knows what's going to be on the one it's like there's a skull on the one and a different skull on the six mm-hmm. you get to choose but uh, our but uh, those orders are only going to be available right now to our patreon patrons so if you want to get in on the dice I think we're going to charge roughly ten dollars a brick uh, we will have that available for our patrons very very soon. Uh, so, and it's again, this is just an online tip jar. If you want to help us out and help support the show, it, you can give as little as a dollar a month. Uh, it doesn't, you know, and we're not going to gate any content. The show will always be free for everyone. So, uh, but we do like having little perks for our, like being able to make dice available first for our patrons. So, uh, and remember, if you can only give a dollar, enough people give a dollar, it all adds up. So we're going to take a quick break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we'll be digging into our main topic, which is our review of Codex Dark Angels. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Care Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from Game Mat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a game mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and so it's time to dig into our main topic, which is our review of our long-awaited, long-delayed review of Codex Adeptus Astartes Dark Angels EX Plus Alpha Gold Edition. (laughs) Because Wait, I love they have gold. Uh, well, they have some gold trim. Green, green, green edition. Green edition. I'll green go edition. The green. There we go. <laughs> slash black. Slash bone. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the things that makes Dark Angels very different. Is because you're basically getting three armies in one, and yet they're all kind of working together. So uh, first, as always, digging a little bit into the fluff of the army, so you kind of understand where the army's coming from. Uh, so the. The Dark Angels are one of the founding legions of Space Marines. In fact, they are the first legion. Uh, they uh, also 
Um, one of the legions that, depending on who you ask, may or may not have fallen during the uh, the horse heresy. And Nathan is sitting here shaking his head. <laughs> Such an old joke. It is. It, well, it is. Oh, and it's a, it is. A, it's a little bit of a worn out joke. Then it was like, "Hey, chaos players aren't allowed." It's like, "No chaos of players allowed." Oh, not so fast, Dark Angel yeah. player. But uh, <laughs> but no, the uh, the the fluff on the Dark Angels, and it's their big shameful, literally shameful secret that yeah. they have not shared with anyone else because the Dark Angels during the uh, the Horus Heresy were kind of off in the boonies, uh, like Caliban's far enough out from everything else. It it was you know it was separate enough from the rest of the Heresy that the Dark Angels didn't really get involved with too much of the other goings on. But the forces of chaos uh, did come to uh, Luther, cause especially because Luther was uh, basically Lionel Johnson was their primarch, uh, and he, with his thrilling blonde gold head of hair. But he was it was very much a knight, uh, you know, kings of Ar- King Arthur, knights of the Round Table kind of feeling. And while Lionel Johnson was out on the Great Crusade. You know, going and bringing worlds into imperial compliance, Luther was left at home with the rest of the Dark Angels on Caliban, their homeworld. And in fact, he, if I remember right, Luther was one who actually found Lionel Johnson and raised him. So it's kind of the situation, kind of like, you know, Erebus and, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? The guy that helped raise L- Lorgar, uh, Corferon. You know, where like these guys that, that, uh, raise the primarchs kind of fall on you know inside you know they fall in the primarch shadow and they're not as focused on anymore and so luther was left behind with what was really an honorable job of you protect the home front protect caliban you are the castellan you are the guardian of caliban keep it safe well the forces of chaos started whispering in luther's ear and basically said yeah he's leaving you alone because he doesn't feel you're good enough you should be really be right you know fighting against him and hey join us we'll give you you know we'll give you buffs and make you you know put you in charge because you should have been the whole time yeah and so luther basically drew i can't it, i don't think it was was it it wasn't fully half of the dark angels but it was a pretty sizable split yeah it mm-hmm. was uh definitely significant yeah and so lionel johnson got this alert that he needed to come back home and he came home and luther's basically leading the dark angels in revolt against him yeah. and a a fight go goes down, and uh, Lionel Johnson is mortally wounded, and like Luther has a moment of clarity because if I remember right, like kind of like what happens with Horus at the very end, the forces of chaos yeah. see that he's lost and abandon him. Yep, and it basically shatters Luther's mind. Luther is dragged off by the loyalist Dark Angels. Uh, Whereas Lionel Johnson's body gets dragged off by the diminutive watchers in the dark, the the little tiny, Means. yeah, little tiny, you know, Jawas, and drag off his body to sight unseen. But also, while all this is going on, the fight that has been going on with like all the Dark Angels, like orbital bombardments, and a warp storm comes in, and their plant, home planet of Caliban is torn apart, and all that is left is like the fortress monastery on this l- large chunk of the planet, which now becomes their home, which is called the Rock. Yep. And not all of the uh, the traitor Dark Angels were re- killed or rounded up. A lot of them got away, and so there are a bunch of Horus Heresy era traitor Dark Angels out there running around, known as the Fallen Angels or mm-hmm. just the Fallen. And this, the thing is, the Dark Angels didn't tell anybody this happened. 
Not and not many of the Dark Angels actually know. Yeah, most of the Dark Angels as of right now don't know this happened. So they've like the inner circle, literally I mean literally it is now referred to as the inner circle, but like the inner circle of the Dark Angel leadership basically said, Okay, everybody that needs to know knows. Everybody else is either dead or we're just not gonna tell them what mm-hmm. happened. Like all the crusade <laughs> like the Dark Angels that were on crusade fleets, we're just gonna say there was a horrible warp storm. Yep. Uh Millions were killed, but we managed to save save the home front. And Lionel Johnson, unfortunately, died. Bad things happened, but we will we will carry on. But secretly, the inner circle knows that these these rogue dark angels are out there. And if anyone ever finds out from the rest of the Imperium that this happened, they are worried that because they saw how the other traitor legions were treated, that they'll basically be considered traitors exterminatus yeah. and taken out. So they've decided no one can know. But we will secretly hunt them all down and bring them in or kill them. Mm-hmm. And so that is why their their first and second companies, whereas they pretty much follow the Codex Astartes that Gulliman set down, but their first and second their first company is all veterans, which that's pretty standard, except it is all Terminator veterans, and that is the Deathwing. And the Deathwing yep. is tasked with the job of if a fallen is found, bring them in. Mm-hmm. The second company is all bikes and highly mobile units, and that is the Ravenwing. Uh, and the, the Deathwing all dress in white bo- or bone color. The Ravenwing are all in black, which is actually their original chapter color when they were a legion. And their job is they hunt down all rumors of the Fallen. And if a Fallen, if a fallen is found, then they call them the Deathwing, and the Deathwing is teleported in to bring them in. Everyone else, third company and afterwards... They were the the now new the, the new but now current uh, green livery of the Dark Angels, and they just go about their merry way, and they are pretty much standard heroes of the you know standard Space Marine heroes of the Imperium doing their thing, but occasionally some of them will be found to be worthy to be brought into that fold, and they are slowly like the secrets are revealed like. As you progress, as you progress, like you might find out, okay, the fallen are out there and we have been tasked with hunting them down. And then once they're like further in, they might find out, okay, here's who the fallen actually are. And then one final secret that only the Supreme Commander Azrael knows is that Luther is still alive. Mm -hmm. And Luther has been kept chained in a basement in the rock for millennia now. And because he's utterly insane. And spouts off like crazed prophecies, but every now and again he has a moment of lucidity and he feels really bad about what happened because he blames himself for all of this because he fell. But then the but then his mind snaps again and he's just mad. Except they don't have Luther anymore because during the whole uh, Wrath of Magnus, Curse of the Wolfen campaign, uh, the Changeling got on board the Rock and managed to let Luther go. So he got away and he is out there and apparently gathering the rest of the Fallen to him. Mm-hmm. But what the Dark Angels don't know is that Lionel Johnson has been there the whole time also because the Watchers in the Dark kept him in a stasis chamber while his wounds slowly healed. And while he's not awake yet, his wounds are now, as of the 8th edition book, his wounds are fully healed now. And he, whenever the need is there, he will rise. But nobody knows when that's going to be. Mm-hmm. And not even the Dark Angels are aware that, you know, it's not like the Ultramarines where, yeah, Gulliman's around. He's sitting right there in that chair and has been for like 9,000 years or so. It's, <laughs> they, they have no idea. So unlike the Wolves who are wondering when Russ is going to come back from the Wolf Time or the Ultramarines where Gulliman 
you know, is back now, or the Blood Angels, who will never see Sanguinius again except in their worst nightmares. <laughs> the situation with uh, Lionel Johnson is he'll be back one day, but they have no idea. They have no idea to expect him. It's whenever GW needs a quarterly boost. <laughs> there you go, and he will sell when they any the oh, next. Yeah. So now the the fight is whether the next loyalist Primarch is going to be a, a space wolf or a dark angel, yeah. which fits in nicely with their fluff because who else should fight over it yeah. other than a space wolf and dark angel? Uh, because that's another fun bit that they have a long running feud going. I think all the way back to their Primarchs. I think so. And so anytime they have to serve on the same battlefield, they tend to do like they have a ritual. It's at this point, it's a friendly ritualized rivalry where like they'll each choose a champion. They'll fight off to the first blood. And then once somebody's blood, the fight's over and that chapter will kind of take the lead on the battle mm-hmm. and the other will follow. But at this point, it's, it's good natured, uh, you know, friendly competition. But the Dark Angels, because of that whole secret that their inner circle has, anytime they find any word that a fallen might be somewhere near nearby, they will rush to that battlefield very quickly and they will do that. Like they'll abandon existing battles to do mm-hmm. it. So the Inquisition has occasionally uh, been very curious about why the Dark Angels are so flighty sometimes or and so very secretive. And again, nobody knows. So the, you've got this whole element, which can be very fun to play up, of an army that just, it's like they're Imperium, but they'll do their own thing at the drop of a hat because they have their own, they have their own agenda. And their agenda is basically yep. saving themselves from being treated as traitors, which unfortunately causes them to do things that make people think that they might be traitors. Yes. <laughs> or you have Fallen that will show up and pretend to be Dark Angels and cause trouble as well. So, yeah. So there's, there's there's lots of uh, th- there's lots of interesting story things and we they've set the seeds in there for who knows possibly the next campaign like the big campaign book could be uh, Luther and the Fallen that would be awesome that would be because I mean it's it, they've obviously set it up for like one of the next big happenings yep. and we don't have a Luther model we don't have a Lionel Johnson obviously. Yep. And we have a really slick new Cypher model, whose Cypher is another one of the Fallen. Yep. And no one is really sure who's, uh, you know, I don't want to get too far into Cypher because he's not really a Dark Angel model. He can't, but in fact, can't be in a Dark Angel army at all. He can be in a Fallen. He can be in an Imperium army, but not with Dark Angels, if I remember right. Yeah, that, so that's that's yeah. right. Actually, what they did whenever they came out with him is they created the Fallen keyword. Right. Um, which... I would love to see a Fallen Codex. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but uh, Fallen show up in the Index. Yes. Um, so you could mm-hmm. potentially do a Fallen Army if you want. Yeah, and unfortunately right now, like, Fallen are kind of a weird spot where, like, they're a Chaos unit, but mm-hmm. they can't... And I think they're in the Chaos Codex, so. but they, they don't count towards, like, any of the Legion rules. Yep. But they're, they're kind of in their own weird space. <clears throat> so, but again, th- you know, they're not really part of the rules discussion here, but... You've got an entire fight geared up. You could easily do a Fallen Codex and give them access to more of the yep. war gear and, and make them feel like an old horse heresy army with a little bit of chaos thrown mm-hmm. in rather than like a full-on traitor legion. Yep. But in the meantime, the uh, the the Dark Angels have gotten all the same kind of uh, buffs that the existing Marines have. They have access to all the Primaris now, which, as far as I know, fluff-wise, none of the Primaris have been brought into the Inner Circle yet. I think there's right. some captains and such, but they're not – they're like lead, in leadership positions, but they're not in the inner circle. I, I think the right now the way it uh, stands, the, la- the latest book uh, for the Dark Angels and for some reason – War of Secrets. Okay. They're having that debate right now 
on on how to bring Primaris Marines into the inner circle. So because I think because they, well, anyway. it, it's actually a, a tiered. So your scout uh, is basically the lowest of the low in the dark angels. And so they send them out to scout, but they know absolutely nothing. They right. just basically go out in their scouting areas. Your standard Marine knows a little bit more. Um, but then your standard Marines are then recruited either into the Raven wing or the death wing or into, uh, as a company veteran. And then they at least know some of the dark angels, some of their brothers fell. Right. Um, and then you've got the Raven wing black Knights and then the death wing Knights they actually know that it's it's progressing and how many people fell. Uh, and then you get upwards around the chaplains, librarians, and, and masters, and they actually know that, um, you know, Luther fell. Right. And then Azrael, Azrael still knows, knows, he knows Luther. The, the secret. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> which was Luther and, and then uh, the fact that Lionel Johnson is still around. Yeah. And their chaplains are interesting because they're the ones that actually interrogate them and their mm-hmm. librarians yeah. interrogate these fallen. Yeah. And there's some absolutely amazing stories. If you want some awesome fluff, yeah, um, look into the interrogator chaplains of of the Dark Angels, and and you'll read some awesome things. Um, I think there's one where they they were like ripping the skin off of a guy um, who was a fallen, um, either a fallen. I think he was a fallen librarian uh, in in one of the latest in uh, Gavthorpe's books. Yeah, and it's it's one of those situations like, are we the baddies? Yeah. Like, have we gone too far? Yeah. And it's interesting that they have, unlike some of the other, cha- like Space Wolves don't have this, uh, but they do, Dark Angels have successor chapters. Mm-hmm. And those successor chapters have to be brought in, you know, they yeah. have to be made aware of all this. So they've yep. got their own versions of the Raven Wing and the Death Wing and the Inner Circle. So And, and some of them have handled the information differently than others. So, um you know, you've got history or fluff of some of them being absolutely just gung ho and they, you know, balls to the wall where they will go out and just tackle any, anything that they think might be fallen. And then there's one like, like Rob was saying earlier where they'll actually leave combat, uh, because they get word of, of a fallen. So just a lot of variety in this book. Yeah. So, I mean, you can really get into the, the flood. This is, this army and, and, you know, the blood angels and dark angels have, you know, been traditionally seen as like the angels of death. They were paired together all the way back in mm-hmm. second edition and they both have these very interesting, tragic backstories. But, uh, the dark angels is more, you know, whereas the blood angels just have the, you know, they lost their primarch and they have this, this genetic flaw that they're trying to deal with. With the dark angels, it's just primarily, it's just hiding the secret and trying to cover it up. And whether that's causing more problems than it's, you know, than it's solving. Uh, but yeah, th- them having bringing in the Primaris has raised a whole new set of issues. But the Primaris has also brought along some of the technology that the Dark Angels are known best for, and that is plasma technology. Mm-hmm. And if there is a, f- a faction that is known for having a particular weapon type more than any other, it, this, this army, Raven, or the, the Dark Angels are known for having the best plasma. And it's been a while, like, it's in previous editions. I don't think it was reflected well in the rules, other than they had more plasma. Yep. But uh, now that with the the change in plasma, where it doesn't kill you automatically if you roll the one, unless you decide to risk it, and the fact that they have a stratagem that makes their plasma just absolutely deadly, it actually is now reflected in the rules, and I think it mm-hmm. it plays nicely. And the fact that all the special weapons for like inceptors and hell blasters and stuff are all plasma plays really well with this army. And so just getting into army rules. So we're going to, 
So we're going to go ahead and jump ahead to uh, 74. The the other one that really matters, because all armies for this are going to be pretty much Battleforged, so page 134, because Grim Resolve is also very important to this army. But, uh, you know, they one of the big things is they're the only army that has access to Jink right now, consistently across all their bikes, which is basically, if they advance, they get a four-up and vulnerable against shooting, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Yep. Um, inner circle units, which are basically your Deathwing and a lot of your leaders, are uh, automatically past morale. So your Terminators just don't fail morale to us. They don't have, you know, leadership is not an issue for them. And you can reroll failed hit rolls against fallen, you know, units with that fallen trait. So that one is more a fluff rule, but fun for narrative play. And then Grim Resolve, which is there if you build a detachment of all Dark Angels. Uh, reroll hit rolls of one for the unit whenever it shoots, including Overwatch, as long as it didn't move. And never lose more than one model as a result of any yep. single failed morale test. So That's this crucial. is, yeah, this is an army that does not, like, you can build large units in this army and it doesn't matter because you will not lose more than one. So everybody's a commissar in this army, pretty much. <laughs> but I mean, as far as like, other than like the Deathwing and the Ravenwing and a couple of their flyers, this is pretty much a stock. Like if you look comparing this to the standard Space Marine Codex, it's pretty much like it's all the same options. Uh, I mean, they, there's a few things they don't have. They don't have. Let's see, I think they don't have like Centurions. No big loss. <laughs> um, nope. They have their own. Fl- I mean, they have the uh, Storm Raven. Now, that was something that they added, but they have their own flyers otherwise. And they, I mean, they have like all the anti, anti flyer tanks. They yeah. have like, they have all the same tools, but where it really comes down to is their characters, like their named characters, the Deathwing, the Ravenwing. That's what sets them apart. And otherwise, and if, and if you're playing non Deathwing or non Ravenwing, that's generally referred to as Greenwing just because of the color of the armor. So if you ever see somebody refer to a Greenwing army, that's what they're referring to is an army that is just using stock bodies. So I guess rather than go through like every unit, because I feel like it would just be a lot of wasted time because again, it's not like refer to other codex as is same. Uh, so what are like, what would you consider like the, po- like the big power units on this army? So starting off with the HQs, Azrael is a rock star. Um, oh, absolutely. So he's, he's been showing up. And so I, up until about um, February of this year, I really was more of a narrative player. Um, but getting more into the competitive scene, Azrael is is a powerhouse. His stat line is fantastic. Uh, he's armed with the Sword of Secrets, which uh, is plus two strength. So he's swinging at uh, strength six. So, I mean, he can go up against a knight. And now he's wounding on fives. However... Uh, what you do is he gets to reroll all of his hits and he hits on twos. So you're hitting on twos, rerolling all of your misses. But if you do a, a tag team where you put him next to a lieutenant, right now he's wounding on fives. Mm-hmm. Uh, any sixes are automatic mortal wounds. So he ha- he does have the ability to put mortal wounds on, on a night. I'm not saying I would ever do that. Um, but if, if you end up having to be put into that situation, he could potentially hold his own because what he also has is a four up invul. And that four up invul is conferred to anybody, uh, within six inches. So, yep. uh, he's got all that. And then he, um, gets the Supreme Tactician, which is one additional CP in your army if he's your warlord. And then you also get, um, his, uh, brilliant strategist warlord trait, which gives you the ability to, regain those cps on a five up and you get one additional reroll throughout the game 
So this is a case where you almost don't. I mean, I see a lot of. I've seen Dark Angel armies running the Lucky Thirty Two, mm-hmm. but you almost don't need it with if right. you use Osriel. Yeah, and yep. that's where you get like. And I know we've talked about on the show the Osriel brick. Yep. Because that mm-hmm. six, in, you know, six inch bubble of invuln plus a like six inch bubble of reroll failed hit rolls, yep. which also means like you put hellblast. It used to be devastators. Now mm-hmm. it's hellblasters. You put yep. those within six inches of him. You can or both or both. Yeah, or both. Yeah, plasma yep. cannons yep. and and hellblasters going together, and you overcharge those those plasma guns because you're you're rerolling you've got, your ones. So yeah, you've got nothing to lose. Is there any, any limitations on that? Is it like only infantry or infantry and bikers? Inf- okay. Infantry and bikes. But that's yeah. st- but I mean you don't see a lot of vehicles generally in these right. lists. The other one- than you know well bikes, but. The you know they're covered. Yep, and then the one uh, vehicle you do see with the Azrael brick is the Dark Shroud. So now not yep. only do you have the Azrael brick of you know five to ten Hellblasters with um, you know thirty inch range plasma guns that are rerolling all hits, but then you know, now you've got also the Lieutenant. So now you're rerolling your ones to wound, um, which plasma is going to wound most a lot things of stuff on twos. on twos and threes. Uh, so now you're getting to reroll those ones and your minus one to hit. And then, uh, as Rob was saying earlier with Jink, you just pull the shenanigans. Well, I'm going to move six inches up, six inches back, and I'm going to advance. And then, you know, or, you know, you roll your die and it's a four. Well, now I'm going to move eight inches up, eight inches back. So it stays still, but you advanced. So now that also gets that four up in vol. Yeah. It's a, it's so. a little weird. It's a little, you know, but. It you know in, in competitive play you know yeah. a tactics a tactic <clears throat> right but and again this is one of those things like there's nothing on Fluffy about the Osriel brick yep it's like <laughs> Osriel and a lieutenant and some heavy weapons guys yep. using you know using plasma and then yep. that's where that stratagem I'm just gonna dig into the yeah, one right away weapons of the dark age. weapons of the dark age it's a one command point stratagem <sighs> love it yeah you use it like before a dark angels unit in your army fi- attacks. Increase the damage characteristic of that unit's plasma weapons by one, and that and they basically tell you anything that includes the word plasma. Yep. So your plasma and scepters that you're dropping down nine inches away from, say, a knight or any vehicle, uh, you can now pop that stratagem, and then, you know, possibly you've got him next to a uh, Sam Al who's moved up the board, or you know, maybe an Azrael as well. And now you can reroll those ones to hit, so you're supercharging, doing three damage potentially. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I fought against an Azrael and Dark Angels brick with Hellblasters, and mm-hmm. yeah, they were melting custodes with them. Yeah. Oh yeah, because yep. it's like yep. one gets through, and it's you know AP minus three, yep. and with uh, weapons of the Dark Age, three damage. Yep. Strength eight. I mean, you're you're wounding. I mean, you're wounding knights on a four and just melting them mm-hmm. down. Right. <laughs> so I mean it's no it's it is a very very solid build. Yeah, its it, biggest problem is it's a very static build for the it most is. part. It, it is static. I mean it so it does have trouble with custodes a little bit. I mean the minus one to hit. So now I'm getting hot on ones and twos, uh, but I do get to re-roll those ones and twos because of modifiers. Um, and then if you can get through those invuls, I mean if you can get through an invul on a knight, get through an invul on the custodes, um, you'll melt them. Yeah. I mean, three damage, yeah. uh, two damage if you've got, you know, if you're just supercharging. So what I'll do is run, you know, 10 Hellblasters max with a unit of uh, plasma cannons next to him. And then also some last cannons and missile launchers uh, just in case I need to do some D6 damage. Mm-hmm. So he is he's just an absolute force multiplier. But then in combat, he's pretty beefy as well with oh, his yeah. mortal wound output. Oh, yeah. I mean... He he he'll go toe to toe with any other character easily. Yep. 
So, uh, Belial, not many folks are running Deathwing uh, this edition just because Terminators are so expensive. And they're slow. Um, they're slow, and it, it's just tough in 8th Ed where everything dies. You know, they did increase the wound stat line of Terminators, so that helps a little bit. But uh, not many folks I'm seeing run Belial these days. Uh, the other HQs that you're seeing a lot of are Sam in Sableclaw, which Sam actually, Sam AL has two builds, and one is in basically a souped-up Landspeeder, which comes with a twin-linked uh, assault cannon and a twin-linked heavy bolter. Which, that is a ridiculous number of shots to put It out. is. Absolutely mm-hmm. crazy. Um, and then, I mean, it's strength six and then strength five. Both are AP minus one. You're doing some damage. And he's hitting on twos. Again, he's a grand, grandmaster, yep. so you're re-roll, he, you know, he's Ravenwing, you re-roll failed hit rolls for Ravenwing with instant. Yep. So he's, it's, you know, hitting on twos with re-rolls, mm-hmm. he's ridiculously yep. good. And he also has a four-up invul, uh, but if you put him next to Ravenwing, uh, they get to actually re-roll all of their failed hit rolls. Yeah. In, next to any other Dark Angel unit within six, and then you're just re-rolling once. Which is still good. So it is good. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he's good, you know, but definitely a force multiplier for Ravenwing. Yep. Uh, and then the other build is just him on a jet bike, uh, similar to the Custodes jet bikes. Um, it's a beautiful looking model, um, kind of tough to put together, but uh, <laughs> it comes with uh, twin twin bolters as well as a plasma cannon underslung. I remember when we first started getting back into the game a few years ago, he was my major target as Eldar because I was Eldar jet He's bikes. Like, I, it's like, mm. no, jet bikes are my thing, not your yeah. thing. <laughs> And this, I, I still love the day when one of our friends playing him fired the plasma thing because it was a blast at the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Scattered back onto himself. I'm oh like, yeah, God. see? <laughs> Karma. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore. No, it no. doesn't. It's a lot better. Thank heavens. Thank the heavens. <laughs> but you never want to supercharge his because it's it's too... I mean, it's not as risky because he can re-roll. He re-rolls the hits for himself. But man, mm-hmm. if you roll that double one, he oh, just yeah. dies straight out. Yep. So. yep. Uh, and then he's also pretty good in close combat. Um, on the turn he charges, his sword turns into strength times two, so strength eight. No, no mortal wound output there, but and it's a flat damage of two. Yeah, and he still has the sword even in the in the land speeder too. Yep. So you can charge yep. things with the land speeder. The land speeder's a little bit faster. Has I think honestly has having the more shots for this i think is better than having the d3 plasma shots definitely yep. and yeah mm-hmm. so yeah i can see why it's a little bit more expensive but i think mm-hmm. it's definitely also it has a slightly bigger footprint so yep. that six six inch bubble goes just a mm-hmm. bit further yeah and then he does have one additional wound um in sable claw which is the land speeder variant versus yeah. uh, the jet bike the other ones you're seeing a lot of are the Ravenwing Talon Master, which is a similar land speeder. It comes also with a twin uh, assault cannon, twin heavy bolter, so same number of shots there. Uh, but this is the Lieutenant variant. So while Sam is letting you reroll all of your hits, uh, the Talon Master is letting you reroll once to wound. And the Talon Master is a lieutenant, so he he's a Dark Angels lieutenant in a in a Ravenwing land speeder. Which that was a nice addition to throw to yeah, add in, you yeah. know, just, again, because that was one of the problems with uh, in past editions of Ravenwing is there just wasn't much flexibility. You had one HQ mm-hmm. to work with, which was Sam, yep. and that was it. And then, like, you, you might have your characters on bikes, which mm-hmm. they don't have options for in right. the Codex anymore because yep. they didn't model them. Yep. Although you know, there's always the index you can play with. Right. But having it having a lieutenant level character mm-hmm. that can buff up, buff them up and keep up with them yep. that's the other big problem. Yeah. Is, your bikes could easily outpace your other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a very cool build. Um, 
the chaplains, I haven't seen too many chaplains in, in the Dark Angel Which is a like, shame because they have slick-looking yeah, models. Right. Asmodee's a jerk. Um, <laughs> so he, he's, he's a fun model fluff-wise, but again, not, not seeing too many chaplains in, in army builds. But the other ones you're seeing are the just standard Primaris lieutenants. And what people will do is run him in that Azrael brick. Right. So that way you're getting, you know, re-roll all your hits and then re-roll once to wound with with the li- with the lieutenant in there. So and the librarians are helpful. I haven't seen again too many of those, but uh Interomancy's not a bad power, not a right. not a bad psychic yep. set. Yep. Uh Interomancy is the psychic discipline for the Dark Angels. Some some cool fluffy pieces in there. Uh Mindworm, Mind Wipe are pretty helpful. Yeah. And then uh, Righteous Repugnance is is nasty because you're re-rolling wounds to hit in combat. In fact, I think that's also in the... Sh- I think that is only in the... Sh- it's hits and wounds in the in the fight phase. Yeah, it's it. Yeah. So uh, re-roll all failed hit rolls and wound rolls made for the unit's melee yeah. weapons until the start. So again, it will only ever affect the fight yeah. phase. And then my favorite uh, is Aversion, which is minus one to hit. Uh, that's pretty brutal because it's got a 24-inch range. And then Trephination is just kind of fun. I... So I really want to run a librarian with a jump pack with Trephination, some Primaris Reavers, and a chaplain with a jump pack. Because then what you actually get to do is lower their leadership, minus one for the interrogator chaplain, minus one for the Reavers, and then you cast Trephination, and then you cast like Mind Worm or, or Mind Wipe, uh, and you're just, you know, you're doing some awesome mortal wounds. Yeah, because it's uh, 2d6, yeah. add two if you rolled more than 10. And then closest visible unit suffers a mortal wound for each point. Yep. You exceed their leadership yep. by. So if you can tank their leadership. Yep. So it's it's really going to help in combat. But that's because the Reavers are minus one leadership. I think only within one inch. Yeah. And I think the mm-hmm. interrogator chaplain is six. So so that's kind of fun. I haven't had a chance to play that yet. But I have built and, and painted all those models to try and do that. Some fluff night. So. Yeah. You don't, like, you don't see masters, which is their equivalent yeah. of captains. Very much. Nope. Yeah, you see the Primaris Lieutenant running mm-hmm. around. Yep. And you're actually even starting to see the regular lieutenants now because people are realizing that the one extra wound uh, on the Primaris Lieutenant isn't that great. So they're, they're saving some points with just a standard lieutenant. Yeah, I mean, he's just as protected by the you know from yeah. Azra- by Azrael right. as everybody yeah, else. Exactly. And being a character, you just wrap them in the Hellblasters. Yep, that's right. Other than that, that's that's basically it for the, for the HQs. Those are the big ones that... Um, really kind of make us different and then some of the some of the rock stars in there yeah troop wise they're pretty standard tax mm-hmm. squads intercessor squads scout squads i mean same yep. as pretty much every other right it's it's when you get to the elites that you start seeing a little bit more variety uh because not only do they get access to you know the standard apothecaries and the the ancients uh which the ancients really fun whenever you run him in the azrael brick because everybody's within that bubble so if anybody dies on a four up, they're getting to either shoot a hell blaster or, mm-hmm. you know, hell, shoot a hell blaster shot or shoot a devastator shot with a, a last cannon or a plasma cannon or missile launcher. Yeah. And it's plus one leadership. So mm-hmm. from the banner. So again, if, if somebody else is trying to do leadership shenanigans on you, you've yep. got just that extra little bubble. Right. Uh, where you start to see that variety though, is with uh, the death wing and the Raven wing where you've got the different ancients and then, the Deathwing Terminator squads, as well as the Deathwing Knights. And so those are unique. I guess the the Deathwing is is really kind of 
the normal Terminator squad, but if you go to the Deathwing Knights, they've got some different weapon options, the Mace of Absolution and then the Flail of the Unforgiven for their leader. And, and they're super beefy, too. Haven't had a chance to run them because, again, they, they run the same problem that other Terminators do, which is just a little too expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Flail's kind of interesting mm-hmm. because... Uh, kind of going back to a letter we answered in the first part of the show, their we- their wounds from that actually do spill over yep. in the in close combat. Yeah, and it's it's two damage, so he's swinging three attacks with this thing at at strength six and it's AP minus three. So I mean, if he you know he gets into a uh, an, a unit full of like one wound guys, he'll clear out a mm-hmm. bunch of them. Definitely. And then if he's with you know say a librarian who's been able to cast you know righteous repugnance. Now he's re-rolling his wounds and uh, and his hits in combat. So you should be basically hitting on all three of those hits. Yeah. So you're looking at six damage. And this, I mean, this one, like a lot of armies in eight, though, it's really about like stacking those stacking those yeah. buffs. Yep. Very carefully. Yeah. You see uh, a lot of that in eighth. Yeah. Uh, you don't. Uh, they have access to the other marks of Terminator armor, but I don't. I don't think I've seen too many Deathwing doing Cataphracty or Tartarus armor. They just right primarily do either standard because they want access to more of the, the weaponry or they want or they go with knights yep uh and then you get into the raven wing elites with the raven wing apothecary and the ancient and champion now the champion's really good because he's he's able to swing uh, the blade of caliban which is a uh, strength plus three uh, ap minus three and then d3 damage so if you do intend to run some Ravenwing Black Knights, the Ravenwing Champion going along with them or even the Ancient going along with them can can really boost them. Yeah. And same goes for the Apothecary, being able to bring some back or, or save one on his final wound. Yeah, because, I mean, that makes a big difference on, on being able to just... Because these squads are going to be out ahead of everything else. They're going to they're gonna be easy targets, so mm-hmm. anything you can do to help keep them alive yep. is good. Yep. And then Reavers are really good, but... That's just because they're really good. Yeah, I mean, not, yeah, they're, not they're good. They're, they're good for everybody. They're dark angels, right? Yeah. And then you've got the Raven Wing, like the bikes and the uh, Black Knights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and well, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself because there's also land speeders and dark shrouds and right. stuff in the way. Yeah, the uh, Black Knights are kind of in a tough spot. So they were really great last edition, and and everyone was really running them next to uh, Sam Al. Uh, don't see too many of them anymore, but in the right build and in the right general's hands, I think they could really be deadly. Uh, there's some stratagems uh, that we can talk about uh, a little bit later, but there's one called Speed of the Raven. So you, you can actually advance, shoot, and then still be able to shoot and charge uh, if the unit advances. So now with Black Knights, what you can do is you Speed of the Raven, and then you pop Weapons of the Dark Age. So now you're moving... 18 inches, excuse me, 22 inches because they get to move their advance. So you're adding that to 16. So whenever... Well, they're only... Actually, they move 14. Oh, I'm looking at the land speeder. Pardon me. So they're moving a lot up. And then they've got 18-inch range on their plasma talents. So if you pop weapons of the Dark Age now, and then you potentially have, you know, Sam AL there, now you're re-rolling all of your hits, and you are unloading Fury uh, by doing that. It's just a little so. bit, but it's, it's point efficiency there. It's they're probably just a bit pricier. They are. I mean, yeah. they're no slouch in close combat either. They've got yeah. the Corvus hammers, which are you know will do a lot yep. of damage on good wound rolls. Yep, they're going to wound marines on threes because it's uh, strength plus one and it's AP minus one, uh, and then uh, six pluses cause D three damage instead of one. So they have the potential to be uh, pretty good in shooting, but also kind of good in, in close combat. 
And then you mentioned the Death Shroud, which gives them the the minus one bubble to be hit from shooting attacks. So, uh, again, that's just a standard part of the brick, almost. Yeah, and so the important thing there is the Dark Shroud doesn't benefit from Azrael's four-up invul. Because it's not a bike. Because it's not a bike and it's not infantry. So what you do is you actually advance it every turn. And, again, I mean, you you can move it around the brick, position it however you need to. Uh, keep it out of line of sight but as long as it you know ends up within six inches of these folks it's given a minus one to hit bubble and it can benefit from a four up invul right because it's constantly jinking yep, effectively right. then you've got the land speeder vengeance which was like the alternate build for the dark shroud kit mm-hmm. i i don't see it very often because no. it doesn't it doesn't provide anything else and it's a big plasma gun but you can get that same effect out of a lot of other yep. stuff in your army right uh i just use plasma devastators yeah and Hellblasters. Yeah, and yeah, Hellblasters and Devastators are fantastic in this army. They mm-hmm. they, they key off of that that stratagem so well. Yep. Uh, their tanks are tanks. They're the same. You know, they have the vehicles. They have the same vehicles all the way up through the Repulsor. Mm-hmm. And then you get into their flyers and that that Dark Talon, the Ravenwing Dark Talon, which also happens to be Ravenwing. So if it ends up within six yep. inches of Sammy, even better. Right. But the damage output on this thing is insane. Is yeah. absolutely insane. I mean, besides the hurricane bolter, which is put, it's got two of them. So in rapid fire, if you're within twelve inches, that's twenty four shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is just, I mean, as we've learned in this edition, throw enough dice at something and you'll wear it down. Yep. And then, but the rift cannon is the the piece that just, I mean, the stasis bomb is nice for just you know flying over something and putting out like a one time mortal wounds, but the rift cannon is ridiculous. Yeah, so the Rift Cannon is heavy D3, uh, strength 10, minus 3, flat 3 damage. But the really cool part about it is the ability that if it takes any damage uh, whatsoever, then it has a special table, and it could potentially do D3 mortal wounds. So the Rift Vortex is basically... It, it's based on the tier that it's that the Dark Talon is at. So it's a ten wound model. So it has the tiers, you know, six to ten, three to five, one to two. But at its highest tier, on a three up, it's an additional D three mortal wounds. So you're getting a free smite if anything takes damage from this weapon. And then in the middle tier, three to five, on a four up, you're getting D three mortal wounds. Uh, this is coming absolutely clutch. Uh, oh, oh yeah. I mean, I played so. against a uh, a list at Show Me Showdown that was. You know, it was a lucky 32 plus uh, three custode shield captains mm. and then the Azrael brick really? and then three dark or like or maybe either two or three dark talons. Mm-hmm. And the dark talent, I think it was two dark talents, but they just took me apart. Yeah, they're they're really tough if played right and positioned right. I mean, because you've got between 20 and 40 inch movement. So turn one, you've got the potential to fly over a unit if someone gives you enough space to not only drop that stasis bomb and get up to 10 mortal wounds, uh, depending on the size of the unit. Uh, but then you've got 24 hurricane shots, and then and then you've got the rift cannon, which also has the mortal wound output, possibly. Yeah, I mean, you, you'll just er, you'll erase a unit, mm-hmm. but also, like, the rift cannon, you can go toe-to-toe with knights. Yep. I mean, if they fail their invuln save, they're gonna t- they'll take some damage. And, yeah. you know, strength 10, you're wounding them on threes, you know they've pretty much got their five up invuln against it, and if they fail it, I mean, yep, you're doing a ridiculous amount of damage. And, and the cool thing with the dark talent is it it benefits from strafing run, so yes. you actually get to add one to your hit rolls for anything that does not have fly. 
So you're hitting a lot of ground targets, hordes on twos with the hurricane bolters, and then you're hitting them on threes because it's a heavy weapon, because the rift cannon is a heavy weapon. Right. Uh, you're hitting on threes. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, the, the one thing I could say is like, it has jink, but it probably won't benefit from it because mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to be advancing this. No. You want to be firing with yep. this. Right. And you do have the option if you need to, like near end of game, you can drop it into hover and just mm-hmm. target something, you know, and have the freedom to like, not have to fly around away from it just uh, hide it yeah you know save a kill point so if if you know you're going for a late game line breaker and the and the dark talent is still alive you know put that thing in hover and uh drop it behind a building or some line of sight blocking terrain yeah you know it's it is an absolutely fantastic flyer and it it was one where in the last edition it was it was utter, utter mm-hmm. trash yeah it, i mean the rift cannon was terrible the stasis bomb because a lot of it was like based was, off of making a strength test or it something. was wonky yeah it was it was just a really because you bad, had the blast template and i think that actually turned into a wrist vortex yeah it, it was just really kind of a wonky but rule. the the rules now are you know it's it is easily one of the best flyers yep. in the in the game right now uh and you if you're building a, a if you're wanting to build a solid Dark Angels like competitive list, having a couple of these mm-hmm. is absolutely key. I mean, you could do it without it, but man, they're so good. It it is a little pricey. It uh, in the last fact, it took a price bump, so uh-huh. it's two hundred now. But there is a, a great build that showed up in the Bay Area Open earlier this year with three Dark Talons, Sam Al, and a Talon Master. And so what he does is he keeps it basically – so it's it's a Sammy brick uh-huh. with the three flyers and then the two speeders. But you've got a ton of damage output because now you've got two twin-linked hurricane bolters um, – or excuse me, two twin-linked assault cannons, two twin-linked heavy bolters. You've got three hurricane bolters or that are now – or six hurricane bolters that are actually now uh, re-rolling all hits and you know potentially uh, re-rolling the ones to wound. And then you've got the re-rolls for misses on the on the rift cannon. And then late game, if you need to split up that brick, and because now they're all flying, you can do it. Yeah. So it's it's pretty tough stuff. Yeah. The Nephilim I don't see very much. The Nephilim Jet Fighter, it, it's it's compared to the uh the the dark compared to the Dark Talon, yeah. it's it's just not nearly as strong as I mean the Mega yeah. Bolter is a good gun, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but it's not the Dark Talon. Right. Well and I, I think uh, there was some discussion about this one in there's just some inefficiencies with the Nephilim. Uh, I, I've been wrong before and, and someone can, can maybe call me out, but I, I think there was something about this one that the missiles, it's designed as an anti-flyer, but the rules, there's some contradictions in there that actually make it weaker against flyers. So uh, I can't remember that discussion, but it's been one that's been had on the boards. Well, because like for you know, for example, it's good against ground targets, but against flyers, it doesn't have anything to counter hard to hit. So right. other flyers, you're hitting yeah. them on fours at best, yep. and all your weapons are heavy, so you're actually hitting them I, on fives. I think fives. that's it. Yeah. yeah. So, so it, it's supposed to be the anti-flyer, but you're actually hitting flyers on fives. Yeah. It's it's more an anti-ground vehicle, yeah. which you already have with the rift talon or with the dark talon and its rift mm-hmm. cannon. So yeah. So. Uh, and then we've got the Storm Raven gunship now, which uh, Rob mentioned earlier. But so. yeah, I don't, I, I don't see anybody really using it. Mm-hmm. You just got much better options. Yep. Right. Uh, and, and then we get into stratagems. Really. Now a lot of this is carryover from other Marine codexes, so like Line yep. Breaker, uh, Hellfire shells, Orbital Bombardment, uh, free extra relic, free extra relic. I mean, that's all pretty much standard. 
Uh, but let's see. Deathwing Assault is there. Lots of them, you know, put stuff into reserve for teleport strike. Mm-hmm. And they actually get to come down. That stratagem allows them. Uh, or it's, basic, it's, you it's, use it when they're set up for yeah, teleport strike. That's right. And it's a, it's a free shooting. So you actually get to drop, shoot, and then you can shoot again in the shooting phase. Which they used to have, like, built into them back mm-hmm. in the day. So now you have to pay a little, little bit of command point for it. Yep. But uh, Stasis Shell gives you uh, mortal wound output on yep. a Ravenwing grenade launcher, which I a think flight. just the uh, Dark Knights have, right? Mm-hmm. Or the yep. Black Knights. It, yeah. It's uh, the, a Black Knight weapon. It's a... Uh, but yeah, it's it's mounted on a on a black knight, and then they get to uh, so you can do a, a free smite there. Uh, for every three units, uh, one black knight can take replace the plasma talon with the grenade launcher. So again, yeah, a little, a little bit of mortal wound output. I don't know if that's worth trading out for the plasma talons. It's you know, as Dennis said earlier, six six and one half dozen in the other. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> it's it's mortal, so you know it's getting through invols, but. Uh, you know, a, a plasma talent is getting two shots at potentially three damage if you're supercharging. Yeah. Let's see. Wisdom of the Ancients, that's a dreadnought. That's the standard dreadnought yep. one. Uh, uh, the, the the more specific ones to the Dark Angels are, are Hunt for the Fallen, which... It, so the discussion has been had about narrative versus competitive. There's a couple really, really narrative-y if if I can mm-hmm. make up that word, um, you make up any word you want on this show. We do it all so, the time. Uh, Lion and the Wolf, and I don't know. I mean, you you could see this uh, now that Space Wolf Codex has come out and is looking pretty good. It allows you to pick a Space Wolf model and a Dark Angels model before the battle if they're in the same army, and they basically have that duel before the battle begins. Mm-hmm. You're subtracting one wound from each of them. However, you get to add a bonus to uh, each one of those models that you pick. So each one that survives increases its strength, attacks, weapon skill, and leadership by one. So, <laughs> which is, it's kind of handy, but they're, they're at minus one wound. So. Yeah. And I'd be interesting to see if anybody's actually going to try to do builds that take advantage of it. Otherwise, yeah, it's just a, it's one of those fun narrative bits. Mm-hmm, right. And then you've got the hunt for the fallen, which is uh, basically where you pick an enemy infantry character and then you get to, that character actually gets an additional attack throughout the game, but you get to reroll all hits against that model in the fight phase. And Deathwing and Ravenwing can reroll yep. charges towards it. Yeah. So, so that's again two two rather fluffy stratagems. Uh, they won't come into play that often. I'm not sure if anyone's going to try to do the Lion and the Wolf build. I think it'd be pretty neat with as good as uh, some of the. Space Wolf stuff is looking. I, I I'd be curious to see somebody do a like a space like a Thunderwolf Cav and mm-hmm. Ravenwing yeah. combo army. Yeah, because both of those characters they can absorb the loss of you know yeah. they can absorb taking the the one mortal wound and then mm-hmm. the buff that you get on them yeah. would be totally worth. Yeah, you may run them like with an apothecary to make sure that you can actually make them a little bit more resilient and keep them around a little bit longer. But uh, it, it could be fun. Yeah, make uh, make Samuel like strength five base. With, and then an extra attack. He wouldn't need the weapon skill because he's already at two up. But and then that would actually make his sword strength ten. Yeah, because he's strength times two on the charge. Mm-hmm. And so, then the and then the thunderwolf cav would also get. That'd be pretty handy. Yeah, and I think if you had a talent master next to him, then you're rerolling ones to wound, which yeah. means you're actually competing fairly well against knights. Yeah, uh, you're wounding them on three rerolling ones. So that you could actually, I could actually hmm. see a, a a fluff build of that, and they they're going to survive. So it's basically I'm going to spend one command point to make both these characters and, better. And he's a seven wound model. Yeah, so he could almost soak that up. 
Mm-hmm. I've never thought about that. Because that basically yeah. gets, I mean, it, it, he loses wounds. So now he's back to where he is on Corvus. Yep, right. So, that's, that's not terrible. Uh, and then the other uh, big ones are Weapons of the Dark Age, which, which we talked about, yeah. which is uh, the extra damage on Plasma. And then Speed of the Raven, which allows you to, it's also one CP. So a lot of these are, are like nickel and dime, where you're spending one CP and just can really, really Well, add, that's where that Osriel brick comes in nicely, because mm-hmm. Osriel's yeah. getting those points back a third of the time. Yeah. Uh, but one of my favorites is Intractable. And that's, so that's a two CP one, but it allows you to fall back and still shoot. So the issue with Azrael brick is it's all right there. And so... It's a big target, and so anyone can run a, a you know any cheap models up against your hellblasters. So what you'll do is you know pop the two CPs, pull out of combat, and now I'm still now I'm double tapping my hellblasters um, in, into whatever target is right in front of them. That's that's proven really crucial for me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, anything you can do to to not let somebody lock your army down mm-hmm. and having that available. Yeah. And like you said, you know, a lot of these stratagems you're only spending one command point on, so you should be able to keep a couple in your pocket right. to be able to pull that out when you yeah. need it. My uh, dice always just run super cold on me whenever I'm trying to roll some fives. Maybe these new PE dice will help me out there. there. Hopefully. <laughs> and that's not a shameless plug for a dice, but hey, <laughs> Patreon fans, buy the dice. <laughs> That may or may not. Have now been we're not, purposely. To be to be fair, we're pretty much breaking even on the dice. We're not, lo- you know, you, when you figure in shipping costs and everything, we're we're not going to make a lot of money on the dice. So it's more just to have something nice to get get for our fans. Um, the other, only other ones I see that are kind of unique to them: Fortress of Shields, which yep. if you're using the dark uh, the Deathwing Knights, mm-hmm. uh, lets you subtract w- one from wound rolls made against them, which could be useful. But man, that's an expensive unit to try yeah. to. I mean, it's, you're going to make a nice, solid unit. I just think there's better places for those points. So if, if you're a narrative player uh, and, and you're using Deathwing Knights, or if you're a competitive player and have found ways to use Deathwing Knights, I think the Fortress of Shields is a lot better than it was last edition. Last edition, it was plus one toughness. This is just an automatic, with the way that wounding is done oh, now, yeah. this is so much stronger. So you actually subtract one from the wound rolls, and, and so... You know, it it's just makes them that much more resilient. It's going to make it harder for the people to pull off those, hey, on a six up to yep. wound, I right. do mortals or something right. like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then they've got the inner circle one, which uh, just gives that inner circle yeah. ability and the Deathwing trait to. So that, that's similar to the Blood Angels one where you're turning somebody into Deathwing. Or, pardon me, Death Company. Although I'd argue that inner circle is probably not quite as oh, awesome. Oh, no. Yeah. Not, it, not at all. So, I guess, in, in general, in my opinion, the Dark Angels are. A, a good codex they're not uber competitive uh you see a lot of them with allies they've got the you know the lucky 32 they've got you know blood angel smash captains but there's like i said a, a lot of variety in this list and a lot of flexibility with some of the stratagems yeah and they've just they have the tools to do a fair amount they can deal with a lot of different things on the board but I'd still consider them one of the earlier marine codexes, mm-hmm. and they they play like that, where they've got a few things that are really neat, but they don't have anything that's really like, oh my god, this is the greatest yeah. thing ever. Although I'd argue that Hellblasters, Hellblasters. with Hellblasters with weapons of the Dark Age yeah. is is probably <laughs> like their that's our yeah our gimmick yeah they competitively they've really only got like one or two builds mm-hmm. and it's mostly going to focus around that brick yep unfortunately it, it's, it's going to focus on a brick whether that's uh re-rolls to hit and wound with samuel and a talent master or uh azrael and a, mm-hmm. and a lieutenant and then 
with Hellblaster. Like, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, splash in a couple of the flyers and then figure out where else you're going to put points and whether that's right. a lucky 32 or then, and then maybe splash in a knight or like, because I've seen custodes used pretty well. Mm-hmm. Cause, yep. Because that's like the shield captain, like if you do the Raven Wing break, the shield captains can keep up with them and you can have that whole army pushing right. forward aggressively. Well, and, and you can protect your shield captains yeah. behind them and then you pop, you know, on wings of fire and then, or, you know, go ahead and just deep strike them in mm-hmm. after the fact. Yeah. After your Raven Wing has already locked them up. Yeah. So. And that, I mean, you've been running them, like you said, with, uh, like, the Slam Captain for Blood right. Angels. Yep. Yeah, I'll run a, a dual battalion build with uh, Azrael Brick, the Dark Shroud to keep them safe. And then I'll run a Blood Angels battalion with the Blood Angel Scouts. And then that's that does fairly well. It's, it's not, like I said, uber competitive. But um, the Dark Angels just lack in being able to compete in every phase. Right. So they're they're awesome in the shooting phase, but if you've locked them up in combat, you've taken away the gimmick and that's where the smash captains come in or you know you can use the guard CP battery to, you know, pull off intractable a couple times and and keep them alive and and make the most of your shooting. Well, that's where I'd like I like you know we kind of started getting into that line in the wolf build. I'm wondering if that might be like if Space Wolves on like Thunderwolf's Thunderwolf Cav would make up for that. That'd be another way to make up for that lack of assault power. Because, right. because yeah. yeah, Dark Angel is definitely more of a shooty army. Right. I mean, Grim Resolve helps shooting. Uh, most of their stuff is built around shooting plasma. They, I mean, that's that's really where they're where they're going. Right. And the few assault based aren't units they have are your Deathwing, which are mm-hmm. slow yep. and expensive. So yep. exactly overpriced Terminators. Yeah, but uh, Space Wolves might actually be able to fill that hole nicely, and mm-hmm. the ability to possibly buff a, like yeah. your your buff Wolf Lord, yep. your Wolf Lord, and or like even run like a well, you could run a named one like if you want to have like Harold Deathwolf or mm-hmm. or uh, Canis Wolfborn, and then like said boot Sam Sam and have them buffed up and even nastier. Yeah, for, that could be fun. Yeah, and they only t- they take what the Mortal Wound on a four up. They're not even guaranteed to take the Mortal Wound. I'm not sure I ever read that that close. Yeah, I mean, that, again, it's one of those things that seems narrative. You know, it's a, just a narrative. Let's see. Roll a die for each model on a four up. That model suffers a mortal wound. Each model that survives then increases its strength. So, all right. Well, there you go. And I'm assuming that they get the benefit whether or not they take the mortal wound. Right. But either way, you know, you pick those two, like you know, those characters that have like a bunch of mo- you know a bunch of wounds. Mm-hmm. They can absorb that one. Right. Well, and, and it can be super deadly with some of the Space Wolf uh, bosses who can then use their Warlord trait to give their bonuses to the guys around them. Mm-hmm. So, if they can pull off the right. the the deeds, but yeah, exactly, but that would give you know having access. It would, I mean, because I could see. I mean, I, you wouldn't even necessarily have to do a, an even thousand point split. You could just mm-hmm. you know wherever you need the points. But yeah. I think honestly, I think the Space Wolf detachment could be the cheaper of the two. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could see a. Like, I mean, well, technically, I mean, you wouldn't want to build both of them as vanguards or or outriders, but right. But I mean, you could def, but like you could definitely do like a, a Dark Angels battalion and then a Space Wolf outrider, yeah, and get both benefits and or even a spearhead with some of the long fangs, yeah. I mean, you, which would just give you even more shooting, yep, right. But still have some good assault punch. So mm-hmm. you know, it, I. It, it's, it's an flex- interesting build that wasn't available. wasn't really. I mean, you could do it with the index, but now right. with space wolves and having some of their mm-hmm. the the tricks they have now, or I you mean, do the razorback thing, yeah, you know, and then mm-hmm. keep your um, keep your battle leader behind your razorback rush, yeah, and, and then, then just pop him deadly. out like yep. when it's time. Yep, right. 
It's interesting how we've taken this one little narrative know, right? stratagem, yeah. like spun it, and like this could actually be oh, a really so solid funny. Yeah. But that's, yeah, and that's, I've laughed at that stratagem since the day the Codex came out, and and now here we are. We've spent what five ten minutes talking about a possible build to make it work, and it's one so, command point. I know, right? So one one command point that buffs two characters. Yep. That's really good economy. Yep. yep. Yeah. Sam is now strength ten. Yeah. So and it, and can go up mm-hmm. against you know potentially knights or or yeah. something bigger. And an extra attack, too, which doesn't hurt either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there we are. I'd say that's, I mean, that's Dark Angels in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And like I said, for everything else, it, it's pretty much standard Marines, but nobody's taking it for the standard Marines yeah. right now. But it's also an army that has a lot of, like, if you're not into competitive play, there's a lot of narrative possibilities with this mm-hmm. army. Uh, there's a lot of fun scenarios you can play going up against Chaos, especially if somebody's going to play Fallen. Uh, there's there, it's, a, it's a neat army, and it's it's yeah. one of the few cases where... I know Kevin is the big fan of like com- consolidating all the Marines into one thing, but mm-hmm. I think there's enough here to give them their own flavor. Yep. Well, and, and, I have backed off. I backed off on that stance in Safe Edition, though. <laughs> I've said that, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, and I'm not going to let it go. So, <laughs> and, and if somebody likes bikes, and if if you like speed, and you don't want to, you know. Railed or orcs. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you've got speed freaks and orcs, or, or you've got same hand in, in Eldar. But your Space Marine, you know, there's always White Scars or, or Raven Wing. There's some fun Raven Wing stratagems that will make that army unique. Or if you want, if you love Terminators, and, you know, again, it's not going to be super competitive, but if you love Terminators and you want to just deep strike a ton of stuff, they've got mm-hmm. that option for you as well. So just a, a lot of unique uh, possibilities in, in that book. Mm hmm. And, like, uh, I played against a uh, list at uh, the LVO Friendly that was some Space Marines. Like, it was Scouts and some Deathwing and then, like, a Repulsor and a Redemptor Dread with the the Plasma Cannon. Hmm. Or, actually, no, I think he may have been running the Onslaught Gatling Cannon just for the volume of shots. Mm -hmm. And then the Hellblaster Brick. Yeah. You know, and it was was a tough army to fight fight against. And, uh, granted, I was... What? Was that was that also the one that was like had the metallic paint job? Yes, had this absolutely yeah, beautiful was, like green awesome metallic uh, paint job on all his uh, all his Primaris, and then he had like yeah, a sharp. and then he had a like his repulsor actually had like a a digital camo pattern. That's neat because he was doing basically like a Blackhawk down scenario where you've got a repulsor and some scouts like mm-hmm. pinned down, and then. Osriel comes up and then the death deathwing come That's in really to, cool. as a rescue. So it was it was a it was a fun thematic army mm-hmm. to play against and it but it was also a really effective one. It did That's it cool. did really well. So mm-hmm. it's it's a good army. I, I yeah. like it and I I, I kind of like armies that are in that mid tier on the power curve yeah. where they're good. There's some good stuff you can do with them, but they're not. Nec- it's really going to come down to generalship and how you, right. how you use it. Yep. And I, I think if you're looking for that, this is this is a good army. Uh, it, it doesn't have too many super overpowered pieces. I, I wouldn't even say Azrael's overpowered. No, he, I mean he's, he's an expensive model. Um, and I don't know. I just I just think it's a really fun army. I've I love Dark Angels in sixth and seventh, but in eighth, I absolutely love them. It's it's funny because I'll take them to tournaments and I've not done well. I, I'll finish, you know, mid pack. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I love them. I, I love the Dark Angels. They're super fun. The aesthetic is incredible. Uh, you're not going to find another army that looks like them. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they definitely have, again, they're kind of like Blood Angels and they, mm-hmm. they have a very distinct yep. aesthetic with, 
without being overblown. They're also right. they're not like a chaos army where everything is skulls. Mm-hmm. I mean, the word the most you can say is they have lots of hoods. Yep, hoods hoods <laughs> and robes. But even the hoods and robes are designed for the inner circle. Yeah. So your company veterans, your Deathwing knights, and and Ravenwing knights. But yeah, you'll you'll see them in spot armor. It'll let you identify those spot characters yep. that you need. Right. All right, so I guess we'll go ahead and move on from there and finish up with some hobby progress. Uh, I am uh, working on finishing up. I've got two models to to finish building and painting for Iron Halo. Unfortunately, those two are knights, so I have them. I have them fully built as far as I'm going to build them before I paint them because I'm not going. You know, I'm going to do all the armor plates separately because it would be foolish otherwise. But I've got them all. I didn't magnetize the arms because I'm like, I didn't feel like I had enough time to go through and try to do all the surgery on, on the arms to get them to magnetize properly. But I did magnetize the carapace weapons. And in fact, I actually popped the carapace because I'm doing them to match the knight that I had with my sister. So like the bone and purple. So I managed to actually pop off the carapace on the old one so I could re-magnetize it, just magnetize it better than before. Because now I have like these, th- to some of the magnets I picked up for doing the town are, I have these like big three eighths inch uh, magnets that, mm-hmm. uh, and then quarter inch magnets to actually mount on the weapons. Because before I was trying to use like these tiny little magnets that would like fit inside, because like, there's the hole in the carapace where like mm-hmm. the slot goes in. And so I was trying to figure out magnets that could fit in there, but they're not strong enough because they're just so small. This like a third inch, third eighth, or a three eighths inch magnet on the bottom and then a quarter inch on the bottom. I can pick up the, the top of the care. I can pick the carapace up and like pick the hat top half of the night up with hmm. that. So Man, it's a nice. much stronger Golly. without have without having to do like what some people do where they'll actually like the, the carapace mount point, they'll actually like drill that out and put the magnet, sink it in right. there. So it's visible. Yeah. I didn't want to do that. Cause I want to be able to run them without carapace weapons yeah. and still have them look good. Right. And, but this, you don't need to, because there's enough hold that they'll mm-hmm. just sit it looks like they're sitting flush. That's great. And you can you can pivot them and everything, but they won't just like you can turn the knight over and they won't fall off Man. at all. Wow. So it's it's a nice strong magnet. So I I've got them built. I just need to like prime and I, with airbrushing they'll paint fast. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yep. Uh, but that's pretty much it for me. And uh, uh, also I forgot to mention this in the first half of the show. So uh, there's actually an event that's going to be coming up after Iron Halo, but before Renegade Open, and uh, that's being held by the guys from Forge World Columbia. And this is the, it's November 3rd and 4th, and it's the uh, Midmo Maelstrom, so Mid-Missouri Maelstrom. Uh, you can actually find more details about it at midmomaelstrom.com. Uh, it's located eight mi- minutes south of Columbia in Ashland, Missouri, so it's right in the middle of the state. So if you're from the St. Louis side, so I imagine a lot of the Gateway Gamer guys are going to be coming out. I have Forge World Columbia players will already awesomely, or will obviously be there. I imagine all the clobbering time guys from KC are going to be coming out. Uh, I know I would not be surprised if we put, if they pull players from the Wichita area and I, like, it, it's become like just this big regional mm-hmm. we've got, you know, there's enough groups that travel around, but, uh, they have, you know, tickets are open now. Um, it's six rounds, ITC missions, uh, you know, six rounds over two days. So, uh, I'm going to try to attend. It's going to be like right, right before Renegade. Not that I'm playing in the Renegade GT, so it'll, I'll actually be playing competitively, which is weird for me again, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I'm planning to be there, and I encourage everyone in the area to come check it out as well. So, uh, but so I don't know. I'll probably I'll just probably just take the same army that I took to Iron Halo then. So I'll probably have knights and sisters running fun. there as well. Yeah, but that yeah, that's pretty much it, pretty much it for me, hobby progress wise. Uh, Kevin. 
So uh, I mentioned earlier there was a friendly event here in Phoenix that I played in a couple weeks ago. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it was fifteen hundred points, uh, and they did a couple interesting things. Like uh, you basically built a twenty-one card uh, objective deck. So and they play just straight maelstrom, straight you know, kind of like the LVO friendly, where it's like you roll the missions, roll the deployment, all that. But by limiting it to the twenty-one cards in your maelstrom deck, where you basically got to pull out all the you know all the ones you didn't want to use, that's cool. It kept the maelstrom going, uh, so you didn't have to worry about like you could you could theme your your card deck to how you wanted your army to play. So I was playing pure custodes. Hmm. I took out like all of the hold objective ones because I'm like. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to run up and kill things. Mm-hmm. So I took all of these other other objectives. And I was kind of able to tailor the Maelstrom deck for uh, for how I built my list, which was an interesting twist. Um, no, I like that because that's one of the things we've talked about as as a way to work Maelstrom back into it. Is because mm-hmm. you know one of the problems is always what if you draw you know, like what if you just get the stuff that you can't use? Like mm-hmm. I'm playing Tau. Oh look, do I get a psychic power? Yay. <laughs> Well, and, yeah. that, and that deck building allows for some fun intricacies and uh, exactly just, that, that would be really fun. Yeah. So, so that may or may not. I'm I'm working on the friendly packet for Midwest Conquest. That may or may not be working, getting worked into the hmm. into the list building rules for it because <laughs> it was a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so I did that. That was fun. Um, I've got my 3D printer up and running and dialed in a little bit more. So the first couple of test prints I ran were not super great uh but i've gotten a whole bunch of like uh tau bunker terrain and and towers and stuff so uh hmm. i'm going to be posting pictures of that on instagram and on on the facebook page and i i think we're going to have some be able to have some cool themed terrain for uh for midwest conquest okay i guess for me rob you said you had two models you still need to paint for iron halo yep i'm up to 13 or down to 13 yeah but yours are much smaller than yeah that. six demonettes six seekers and a demon prince <laughs> so that's what i need i need to get working on instead of doing that i've been putting together more primaris and to fill out both death watch and space wolves and i still have more to put together so which is why you need to buy the, the no wake, i have the, wake I, the I, dead I, box to get I, more i need to get all more. these put together first no no get more i've already done the get more now i need to put these <laughs> together first <laughs> So that's where I'm you're at. doing it wrong. Kevin pleasure. and I know that you're doing it wrong. You need to just buy yeah. the models no matter what, and then forget you have them. <laughs> <laughs> I've exactly. done that in the past. That's that's how I found some extra hellions that I'd forgotten that <laughs> oh, I had for. Yeah. <laughs> and Nathan, so I actually have been not able to do my own stuff. I've been working on 2,700 points of Death Watch. Uh, been getting those up and finished. I've been experimenting on some green stuff with my Drukari. And so I'm, I'm working on some grotesques and I've got this one guy. He's really looking good. He's uh, I did a, like a butcher's apron Oh, nice! on a rat ogre that I, I swapped one of the Talos, um, paint engine masks on and they're, they're really turning out pretty good. So, uh, anyone who's, who's interested in, in seeing some of that progress, I've got an Instagram page. It's 40 K underscore Nathan. And, uh, so I've been doing a lot of, uh, work on that death watch stuff and, and you'll start seeing some of that Drukari stuff as well. Cool. Yeah. We'll get a link to that in the show notes. So everyone can oh, see. Thanks. No problem. Uh, yeah, and actually, uh, for green stuff wise, um, since I'm doing two nights, but they've got to match my sister's nights where I've got those resin bases. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, there's no, uh, like anything from Dragonforge, it's like made to order and there's like a mm-hmm. three month when, like yeah. you order it and you get it like two to three months later. Right. Obviously, I'm not going to get that before mm-hmm. in two weeks. Yep. So I went ahead and, uh, Tabletop, our, lo- one of our local gaming stores carries some of the green stuff world mm-hmm. texture rollers and they have one 
uh, called the temple, which has yeah. like flagstones and fleur de lis details. Mm-hmm. And so I tried my hand at my first two uh, green stuffed bases. How'd they turn out? I'm pretty happy. One, the first one I did, like you could tell it shifted a little bit. So they're, mm-hmm. it's the, most of its foot good, yeah. but a couple of little details are a little skewed. I think once, if I put a knight over it just properly to cover the worst of it, nobody mm-hmm. will really notice. The second one I'm really happy with. Yeah. Enough green stuff on there feels really, it feels almost as heavy as right. a resin base, but, huh. uh, but no, it, it actually worked really well. And like on smaller bases, oh, it'd be, it'd be super easy. Right. I looked at doing those for my Drukari because I wanted all custom bases. And so, um, I could do that. But the problem with the Drukari is I'm, I'm doing two 40 witch blobs. Well, I'm 40 witches. Yeah. So, so 22 blobs it, of I 20. Mean, I, I didn't want to do that. So no, I, I don't blame you. Yeah, the, the Shattered Dominion bases uh, that GW does, super cheap. I would say that's their you know, fantasy bases, yeah, right, primarily? Right, but I'm uh, I'm dirtying them up. I'm taking, like, some sand and some gravel and then putting those on the base to give it just a little bit more texture mm-hmm. and uh, and contrast from the Jukari army whenever it's all said and done. Yeah, and I'll say the the Shattered Dominion ones, even though they're they're fantasy, for a lot of the Xenos races, they, yeah, they look they look better fine. than the yeah. Imperium. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because the Imperium one, like, I'm doing the, my Blood Angels I'm going to do in the Imperium bases. Oh, yeah. This is a point where, like, I even took, like, I had been doing my death company on, like, the same kind of snow bases that I did for my blood, uh, mm-hmm. my Templars, but I'm, un- I'm like, debasing them and really? putting them on the, uh, the Imperialis yeah. bases. There's just so many options these days that yeah. we have. I mean, if you don't like any of the ones out there, just get one of the green stuff rollers yeah. uh, and mm-hmm. do what you're doing. So mm-hmm. that's cool. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for episode 181. Our next episode will be our coverage from Iron Halo. I mean, we're, yeah, yeah two weeks, we'll, we'll be, be in there. Iron, we'll be recording it from Iron Halo. Uh, cool. I think it's going to be another, like, multi-podcast crew, so uh, we might have to bring the big board to cover it all. That'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it, this one, it's bigger, but it still should travel well, so. Yeah. But I think I think it'll be more than the uh, the Blue Yeti m- microphone can handle, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, look forward to our, our coverage from the Iron Halo GT in two weeks. And again, Nathan, thank you so much for joining us on the show, because we could talk Dark Angels, but we're not, one, you know, having somebody who's actually been You're playing them. not a brother of and, the lion. Yeah, somebody yeah. who's actually been playing them and... Uh, and and taking them through their paces, it's good to have that actual information. They're they're a great army. They've been really fun to play with. So I love talking about them. Thanks for having me back. Hey, no problem, no problem. So from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm Rob, Kevin, Dennis, and Nathan. <laughs> good night, good gaming, and I dub the Dark Angels almost forgiven. Good night. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.